Welcome to the Grappling We See exactly. Grappling Rewind Podcast. Welcome to this week on the Grappling Rewind Podcast. This week's show, we are going to recap the 2022 IBJJF Nogi Worlds, and we are going to preview the UFC Fight Pass Invitational 3 featuring a rematch, long-awaited rematch, between Vinny Magalhaes and Gordon Ryan, as well as some other really exciting fights. As always on the show, I'm your host, Maine, with my co-host, Simon. Hey, you Simon? I'm great. It's great to finally have you on. What finally. happened? It put my gaggle of kids to bed. No, yeah. I put it in bed. my wife is putting them to bed, but I just kicked them to the side. I was like, all right, kids, got to go to Uncle Maine's house. Yeah, do the podcast finally. So if you don't know, uh, so we mentioned Simon a lot. Uh, Simon has Simon is actually like so. This is a news section because uh-huh. uh, you're the only one actually on the on the team that's like able to cover the news from a background. You're actually you're, like the only actual journalist that we have on the team. I was is, a journalist. You now were a sports I, journalist. Yeah, now I just do the cooking thing. Now you're now you're a cook. But yep. like you know, you actually when I have journalism questions, I tend to I tend to DM Simon and be like, hey. uh, what does this mean? What does this do? How does this work in other industries that are not jujitsu? And you've been a wealth of knowledge. When we did more writing contracts, you did a lot of that work on the back end. Um, and we used to kind of do more of that. But mm-hmm. now you're here. You're purple belt finally. The rule's always been you get purple. Now you show host, you co-host. And so now we're here. It's actually weird because like literally like 30 minutes ago, you had mentioned like, yeah, so you're a purple belt now. And I was like, oh yeah, I am a purple belt now. Yeah. Like the vast majority of my time training jujitsu, I was a blue belt. You've been, like, training, you've been training 10 years, No, right? No, 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 no. Something like that. So I start started like on and off training in 2014. Okay. But I was literally like came in for a trial and then disappeared for a while. All right. And then 2015, I I was, that's when I was really fat. That's, mm-hmm. I was like 300 pounds then. Like actually 300 pounds, not like how you think that anybody that's over 200 pounds is almost 300 pounds. Yeah. I was actually almost 300 pounds at that point. So it was literally like I trained as often as I could because it just kind of hurt to exist. At, at that weight. Yeah. We both have the same spine surgery. Yeah. That, that, was that came after though. That came after I like got into not morbidly obese shape. Yeah. So that is all to say like I was in and out, but like 2016 is when I really started training, yeah. training. I think I, when you come onto the podcast t- team, I think that was 2019. I it think. was the end 20... of 19 when that's when we were doing stuff for Fanatics yep. and you wanted a website and I was yep. like, hey, in my former life, I used to build websites and do web content and SEO stuff. Yeah, someone com- was like, hey, dummy, uh, you're not qualified to do this and you know it and I know well, it. No, no, it's because you were do- about to spend a buttload of money out of your own pocket when you're not generating any revenue was. on a professionally engineered like proprietary so, website that you did not need so simon has very much helped the show on the back end on the front end for many many years it's great to finally have you on the show yeah. uh we talk pretty much daily about mma mostly but also jujitsu so it's finally great to have you on the podcast um i usually forget to do bumpers for like who people are on the show when yeah. you introduce no new co-hosts so uh trying to you know start off the end of 2022 five plus years into the show off correct on a new foot mm-hmm. so um let's see so so i want to switch it up this week we don't have a ton of news because it's the holidays here mm-hmm. in the united states where we're based um they're like everyone thinks shuts down noogie world's the big event and not a lot of stuff tends to run around the holidays for thanksgiving and christmas uh we do have euros ibgf european championships coming up uh is it i think it's late january it's usually that like third week of january yeah usually i think it's that's the same date for it i could look it up but we're not looking it up right now um and so we just really have uh, a kind of gap of news, allegedly in news, ADCC, I, I think it might have been Reddit comment, so it could be wrong, ADCC is looking to run like seven um, events per state, 
Dope. eventually like opens mm-hmm. so that would be and apparently that's like coming in the future at some point so i don't know i think i saw that on reddit so the validity of that comment is entirely Still, called the question great but though like, mo and seth and the rest of the team that run the adcc opens across the world have and mo specifically for the u.s team has talked about greatly increasing the number of open events they do after watching nogi worlds would very much love to see some additional nogi events crop up with some different rule sets because again the level of athlete that we're seeing in nogi worlds was better than we have ever seen it before tons of finishes transitions ibjgf has made some modification to the rules more games in town makes for better grappling that we get to see and commentate on and participate in so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't have any other news. Do you have yeah. any news? Jacob Couch got his black belt. Jacob Couch got his black belt. I always forget black belt news. Uh, and deservedly so. I think we're not going to get a chance to cover his match on this week's show. He had uh, a really, really cool standing arm triangle finish. Well, but he wasn't standing, though. Yeah, you know, his, his, sorry, opponent, his opponent stood up, so, and he was like, nah, man, I got this. I got the squeeze. And uh, Was that he, the finals for Brown? I don't know. I didn't look yeah. what round it was because we were trying to do all the black belts. And majors are always hard because it's really taking notes on 18 finals mm-hmm. matches, nine for the men, nine for the women, with a couple of weird closeouts and no-shows mm-hmm. in the finals that we'll talk about at that section of the show. So a few less today. But um, overall, really interesting no gear worlds. I want to switch the show up this week, not because right. it's the first time you're on, and you know that that messes with the flow of the show. But Gordon Ryan is having a rematch with Vinny Malgales. I want to start there because I think there's a really interesting storyline there to talk about, and I don't think it will be close. No, nope. so we're gonna let's lead in. We'll talk about yeah. the UFC Invitational. Move into the preview section first this week. Okay, UFC Invitational three. Fight it Pass fe- Invitational three. Is it? Is it? It is the Fight Pass Invitational three. Oh, look at that. Yep. UFC Fight Pass Invitational 3. Uh-huh. Uh, it features a f- eight-man bracket that yeah. Gordon Ryan and Vinny Malgalese are not a part of. Some super fights. We'll talk about that next. It also features Misha Tate versus Bia Mosquita in a rough matchup for Misha Tate. But let's talk about Gordon Ryan versus Vinny Malgalese. This match last took place in 2018. This weird match. In ACBJJ. ACBJJ uh, was basically the jiu-jitsu offshoot of ACB, mm-hmm. the MMA promotion that then became ACA, the MMA promotion. Um, and they ran they ran jiu-jitsu events with rounds. Yes. So this was a three-round bout because it wasn't a title fight on that card between Vinny and Gordon, and these guys were getting paid, which was great to see. Allegedly, these were some of the first like big $100,000-plus contracts. Remember for a second, they had Gordon signed exclusively. Yes. That was like a big deal until they just weren't around anymore. Well, they weren't running events at a frequency yeah. that Gordon... And back in 2018, Gordon was hot off the ADCC 2017, where he hadn't beat Felipe Pena to have had the match with Galvao, and so he was looking to kind of stay on the grind to get back to ADCC 2019 and like make the stamp that he would, again, go on to make in 19 and 22 and kind of he was doing even, even doing like IBJJ. He was doing Nogi World. Yep. He was doing Nogi Pans. Like he was competing in a bunch of stuff. So ACBJJ locking him down. If they weren't going to run events frequently, I think he was not interested in that at that time. He had a match with Vinny Magalhaes. Vinny Magalhaes came in as um, former world champion, former world medalist at least. I, I always kind of blank on Magalhaes's credentials. Need to, did he he won ADCC though? I think he least medaled. We could be wrong about. This. I have an ADCC oh, book yeah, yeah. behind me. You could look at. Regardless, Vinny okay. Magalhaes. Very, very good. At this time, he was still, um, he was, Vinny Magalhaes has always been a very, very crafty black belt. In the first round of their match, Vinny scores some points on Gordon. In the second two rounds, 
because I think there were five minute rounds. I think maybe ten minute rounds. I think five minute rounds. I want to say five. Yeah. In the second two rounds, no points were scored. Vinny wins one round via points, two non-scoring matches. Vinny takes that match. Gordon kind of goes, "Oh, that's weird," but that was kind of the perk. Of I how was it- watching the thing that was the whole. It, the the rounds aspect of it was one thing. The the match in go back itself. and watch Josh and I cover this in 2018 when the podcast was one year old, like eight months old, mm. um, and try to make heads or tails. Try to explain through exactly what happened. Um, you don't actually have to do that if you want. Go back and watch the match. It's on YouTube. Uh, so this is a rematch, and Gordon has talked about wanting this rematch for a long time, and he has talked about. But he's always been complimentary of Vinny in going like, "Yo, you beat me." It's a match where I went back. Vinny has agreed to the match, but Vinny then went back and fought in PFL, almost won that season of PFL, mm-hmm. um, flying triangle his way to a million dollars nearly. Almost. And Just pulled guard on guys for a year, and mm-hmm. nobody had anything. Plus, it's light heavyweight. The talent is, pool is... It is light heavyweight. Yeah. The talent pool and yeah. PFL was... You can you can, you can can discuss it. The PFL in the world, the UFC light heavyweight division is like... Eh. Yeah, it's not, yeah. not the most technically okay. savvy division uh-huh. overall. So, Vinny went on. So, this match has not happened. And there's potential for it to happen at um, at ADCC. It didn't happen. There's mm. potential for other times, but it's never actually come to fruition. And now it's happening. It's under the UFC Fight Pass Invitational rules, which Simon and I can't find. Nope. We looked last week with Miranda and I. We've looked this week. We can't find it. If you can find it, good for you. This happens, like think, Thursday of this week. So we're going to go off the assumption that this is just like... A win, a ten minute match, like a pretty standard black belt match, mm-hmm. might be fifteen minutes. Wouldn't surprise me to have it thirty minutes. Like nothing would surprise me here. But with UFC, they typically don't have very long matches. It's not really their forte. But with Gordon, though, he's gonna negotiate the terms that he wants. Absolutely. So to see a ten minute match or a fifteen minute match would be normal. To see this go twenty minutes wouldn't surprise me. That being said, I think Gordon does what whatever he, he did wants to Galvao. Whatever yeah. he wants. I think he gets the back. I think he finishes the choke. I think he's going to be able to get Vinny down, which I think he's going to struggle more with getting Vinny down because of Vinny's MMA experience. So did you watch the UFC this past weekend? Uh, I watched the finishes. Gordon kind of got the star treatment at the UFC. Like, you know when they do the camera pans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they like, Gordon was one of the people. I was like, that oh, is it's... a grappler that they are featuring on a UFC yeah. pay-per-view I mean, broadcast. On the, on the pay-per-view for Dillashaw and Sterling. And, and then, O'Malley, he was featured there on like a, on a during the pay per view as like a on a stanchion, a um like an insert, and they like ran a promo for the event during that pay per view. Well, that make that makes sense because they're going to promote property that's on one of their Fight platforms. Yeah. I'm saying he was in the crowd, and they did the oh such and such celebrities here, oh such and such right, celebrities yeah. here, and oh Gordon Ryan's here, and like it was like oh Gordon Ryan's like. A celebrity on a UFC pay per view broadcast. Yeah. He actually even went to the back and like did media and stuff after. Yeah, we like, used to, some interviews with him yeah. talking about the best grapplers in the UFC. It it has been interesting. I think that Gordon subs Magalhaes. Mm-hmm. I think it's not really close. Vinny has had some rough matches recently. You look at his Craig Jones match where Craig Jones broke his foot off in submission underground mm-hmm. in. Under five minutes? Yep. I think. Something like that. You look at his match, Vinny's match with John Hansen at ADCC Worlds. Hansen, again, big fan of Hansen, but mm-hmm. I'm chairing him in Nebraska, so I'm very biased when it comes to talking about Hansen. Um, he, Hansen beat Vinny by like injury, by sub. You look at Vinny's match versus um, in the Grand Prix with Cyborg and Nicky Rod from a couple years ago at Kasai. Like, Vinny's had some rough goes at it recently and has not been on a lot of the winning side. Now, 
Vinny can absolutely still do it. And there's a reason why Gordon is interested in this match other than just it's a guy that beat him. Like, Vinny Magalhaes is a, is a feather to have in your cap as a champion-level grappler. But I just think that Gordon's passing has progressed. His passing has progressed. His takedowns have progressed. His takedown. His takedown. His takedown has progressed, the body lock. I'm curious to see if he's able to get that on Vinny. I'm so curious the, if Vinny keeps this at range for the entire thing and makes it a stinker. All So all that talk about Gordon coming out with the UFC and getting the star treatment and all that, to bring that back real quick, it's because I think Gordon will, like I was also touching on earlier, will negotiate the rule set, the time limit, everything that he wants for a Gordon Ryan match in which yeah. not like one of the, not even like the Felipe Pena match or the Galvao match, but like one of the, like the Alexio Linick match or like one of those guys where he's like, yes. I'm going to negotiate the terms of a match in which I can showcase a single part of my game that I want to showcase on this platform and then either go in and cut instructional after or just continue the Gordon Ryan revenge tour, which from a marketing standpoint is really the best thing that he can do for himself right now after he just basically did it all at ADCC. Yeah. He beat a uh, former training partner. He beat uh, a couple of guys that you would think, oh, this is the guy that's on the rise. No, never mind. Victor getting- Hugo? Yeah. And I was like, it was going to be a tough match. And then he just passes Hugo. I was like, oh, well, that answers that question. So now when you're looking yeah. at the story arc of Gordon Ryan, and he's very careful about crafting the narrative Him and John of his are both. brand. You look, at, you look at kind of GSP's career, and yes. John was not... You know, was very largely instrumental in sort of how John, uh, sorry, how GSP mm-hmm. crafted his career in the same way that he crafts Gordon Ryan. And I think they're both there. All three of those guys are pretty open about like that strategy. So now Vinny's just going to be number one on the hit list of the Gordon Ryan of revenge the Crow Cop Revenge Tour. Yes. Yeah. And then what d- is, uh, what was it? Who's number one that already got booked for next year? Penna. Yeah, it's, okay. it's February. Yeah, we have we have the third match with Penna because Gordon wants to be three and two over Penna, which I appreciate the pettiness. Um, regardless of how you feel about Gordon, it is interesting to watch him. I want to see him compete in matches that he wants. This is a match he wants. I think he Renekad chokes Vinny. Um, I don't think it goes to footlocks because I think that Gordon historically has never gotten to footlock shootouts with guys with good leg locks. Um, but I just don't think that. I think that's where Gordon, in the last match, got points scored on him. He's not looking to entertain the same thing in this match. Yeah, no, he's going to take him down. He's going to take his back and then choke him out yeah. in like X amount of time and then say something really crafty on the mic and yeah. then go no. on with his life. The only question is, does he call it? Does he do what he did in the Who's Number One events? I think Vinny is a higher caliber grappler. I think that would be a risky move, but he did it versus Pedro Mourinho with the smother choke. Like, He's done it to guys that are really good. But didn't he not get the last one that he He didn't get the up? smother on Mourinho yeah. because Mourinho figured out if I just put my hands in Gordon Ryan's armpits, yeah. he can't get low enough down. So I feel like after that, you kind of have to abandon the gimmick almost, or at least give it a little bit of time to rest. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, I think that could definitely be a reasonable strategy. I think we're both picking Gordon here. Um, again, Vinny has upset Gordon Ryan before, and it was an upset when it happened in 2018. Everyone's like, oh, Gordon's going to move through him. And Vinny, you know, Vinny's crafty. Mm-hmm. He's always been crafty. He will always be crafty. There's a guy that could give Gordon Ryan problems. It's a guy like Vinny Magalhaes, who's just that old school veteran crafty guy. Again, Vinny is 10 years older than Gordon, which Gordon always talks about as being like a benefit to like the older guys. They have more experience. Yeah, that that man strength at this point. Mm-hmm. He even talks about it now, like when he's like 
getting into his 30s, he's saying like, oh, this is when I'm going to hit my athletic peak because it's more of that isometric strength and not yeah. the dynamic strength that he needs at heavyweight. So, so interesting. I, I mean, I'm shall be the, fun. Start of the match. I pay for Fight Pass for like the 10 events that they run a year that are grappling. Very excited that this justifies my keeping that subscription. Uh, other fights on the card. We have Misha Tate and Bia Mosquita. How do you think that plays out? <laughs> I think Bia's probably uh, Bia probably takes that one again. Uh, Misha Tate is a good grappler, and like she won the world title from Holly Holm with a rear naked choke. Like mm-hmm. she does have submission wins. Um, she did call Jordan Ryan, uh, Gordon Ryan, Jordan Ryan mm-hmm. when she commentated quintet. So I'm not certain how f- really into professional grappling she is. But again, I do like the crossover. Misha Tate's a big star. I think Bia Mosquita has looked great at great at ADCC. I think she probably takes that by for over Misha Tate. Murder, death, kill. Murder, death, kill. Top position, arm triangle or back take and choke. Although you never know because Misha did have that thrilling uh, submission underground victory over Jessica I, I all that. those years ago. I remember that? That's a throwback. Which, yeah. We talked about that I on the show. I think that was Sug 2. No. That was early that was like Sug. Sug. That was like Sug 4. I could look it up, but we're not going to. I know. So, we'll look at a match and I'll make fun of you. Moving on to, there's also another match on this card that I I uh, can't find now. Uh, it is da- Big Dan Manasuri versus Ricardo Evangelista. Uh, interesting match. Ricardo is a veteran. Big Dan is a guy on the come up. He has a game that is tailored to beating big guys. Ricardo is a guy that can, that can throw a wrench into that. He's dynamic. He's big and strong on top, but I think he's going to meet big and strong with Big Dan, and Big Dan is going to be able to like turn him over and move him and get to a leg lock. Like, if you are a big guy and you're not one of the top like three, four guys in the world, I think Big Dan is getting to your leg. Like that's everything about Big Dan just kind of shows me like eh, that's kind of what he does versus guys where. He struggles with the smaller guys a little bit. That's what I was going to say. With the guys that are even not even like small, small, but guys that can be more athletic, can be more agile. He, Anyone under like 210. Yeah. Really, he those like, are the guys that he struggled against. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just from like the stuff that on flow and things like that, I think it's interesting to watch his development. He yeah. definitely it has like future star kind of written on him, mm-hmm. uh, especially, especially with the camping at New Wave, with you being basically the number, the top five guy at the New Wave team. Him, Luke Griffith, Gordon Ryan, Mergali, like he's I think, in that list. So he can sort of evolve into the the new Nicky Rod, not style wise at all, but like yeah. that big Fill guy that that's in Gordon's camp and therefore gets the training partner and the training level right. of like it's it, like historically it's like being like Kobe Bryant's teammate essentially it sort of elevates everybody else in the room like right. one of those stories um, I think that is sort of the potential that he can rise to and it'll be interesting to see if he can do it yeah. especially with some other young guys already coming up with the ultra heavy ranks yeah it'll be it will be fun again I'm gonna take Big Dan by heel hook that's typically what he does but again Ricardo throwing a, a wrench into that and getting around getting his back and like causing problems for Big Dan also wouldn't surprise me because Ricardo's not, you know, he's bigger. He's bigger, but he's not. He's um, not mammoth. No, he's not mammoth. Yeah. So, uh, and that's the bigger the guy, the better Big Dan tends to do. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, we also have a, a bracket that I'm really excited about. We have a $25,000 absolute tournament. Um, this is the reason for watching the event. This is, yeah, like, honestly, yeah. kind of, this is, this is that hot fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting way to bracket this, but... 
So on the left side of the bracket, we have Heisem Rita versus Patrick Gaudio. That will be fun. Um, either guy can take this. I'm biased. I'm always going to pick the You're African always guy. Always going to pick the African every guy. single time. Morocco's in the final four right now. The World Cup. I'm celebrating that. Drake is Duplessis. Just one. He's South African, but still that counts. Like I'm always going to pick the African guys. If you if you guys can't see on the on the uh, on the show, if you listen to the audio version, Simon has a a full a full sleeve that is the African continent on his on his arm. Um, Three quarters, but cool. Uh, yeah, four, yeah. I mean, yeah. three quarters sleep. Uh, reps it hard, and I respect that. Again, the 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 Heisenberg that comes out versus Cyborg Abreu, and we, we're going to talk about Cyborg and Nogi mm-hmm. Worlds. That dude comes out versus Gaudio. It's curtains. Mm-hmm. Patrick Gaudio is also a veteran. And we've seen Heisen Reed and now and again have missteps with like how he handles crafty veterans. If there's a guy like tactically that can give Heisen problems, it is a guy like Patrick Gaudio. This is a really, really fun match. I think these guys have met before, but I don't remember where. It might have been an IBGGF event. Um, I, I think, I think this is either a quick sub by Heisen, either by a choke, Brindica choke. Or an armbar, or I think this is a crafty top position decision victory from Gaudio, where he just kind of shuts Heisem's game down, gets to the back, gets to the three quarter ride, and just flattens him and kind of like slows Heisem Rita down. I think that's where this goes. He's been so hit or miss. It's, as yeah. someone who loves watching him when he's on, mm-hmm. it's so infuriating. When, like, who did he just lose to at who's number one? I forgot already. It was just like three weeks ago. Yeah, I'm blanking. I'm, I'm trying to come up with it and stall for time and figure it yeah, out. I'm no, forgetting who it was. Yeah, just when he's on the, like, when he subbed Cyborg, and I, like, you were there. I was so there. I can't even. Live. I was, was at live. work. I was, like, kind of, like, looking down back and forth. I had paused it. I talked j- to him after. Dude, I paused I've, it just before the Cyborg match, and then I came back and watched it, but I saw, like, a thousand notifications from the chat. Yeah. I was like, what just happened? Then I watched it 12 seconds later. I was like, that just happened. Yeah. Okay. But then that Rita never showed up for the rest of the tournament. Yeah. And you just... That is, as someone who loves watching him compete when he's on, you just always hope for that Rita to yeah. show up. When that dude shows up, be... he's, he's one of the pop in the world, hard to beat. But when he doesn't, guys can, again, guys, crafty veterans like Gaudio with a really good leg lock game. Look at the Hamlo Bahal, like, gross, one of the grossest mm-hmm. leg locks of all time, mm-hmm. uh, told, like, this is good. I, You're going to go Rita. I kind of want to go Rita, too, because, like, I just like his style. I like Gaudio too. Um, he's just, just electric though. When but Heisem in this scenario, I think is going to. Sh- if there's anything he's going to show up for, it's the first round, something like this. Same side of the bracket: Mason Fowler versus Pat Changoli. Pat Changoli uh, began a little hate recently from a lot of folks that are not used to real, real quick subs taken in comp, mm-hmm. um, and that's a whole debate for another day. Uh, within the bounds of the rules, guy, the ki- kid, I can actually say him now kid mm-hmm. goes real fast on heel hooks on the legs if there's a guy that i don't think is going to have a problem with that it's mason fowler so, mason fowler has taken on craig jones what three times twice in, that twice I, in that sug and yes. an adcc so three times total oh yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. yep and if craig jones can't leg lock you i don't know who can nope. in the world now shangoli is an interesting guy because he typically craig jones will lock down control way more before he starts cranking but shangoli will just kind of grip and like he doesn't even care if both of his knees are in both legs are in he'll go high hand he'll go low hand like he very much doesn't really care about the control he has on the leg because he's going to fix that with the speed that he's taking the joint 
over. And so he doesn't really need the control a lot of times to get those taps and get those finishes based on that style. This is where it'd be really interesting to know what the rule set is 100%. Because like I was telling you earlier, I for some reason, I thought it was the EBI rule set that they use for Fight Pass Invitational. And Fowler at SUG was sort of the crafty veteran, gamed the EBI rule set yeah. to fit his game perfectly. And got Craig Jones's back and then cranked on him mm-hmm. twice. And I think, again, I'm going to go Craig. I'm going to go, sorry, I'm going to go Mason Fowler here. I would too, yeah. Um, just because I think he's going to be able to shut down enough of Shangoli's game. He's seen it. He's seen it at the highest levels. You fought Craig Jones. Shangoli is going to throw up some interesting stuff. But I think Fowler is going to weather the storm and like do what a lot of guys done, either completely stay out of the range and play it safe, or he's going to like smash in, come to the side, stay on top. But I think those are the two pathways um, that we're going to see him kind of deal with Shangoli. But Shangoli has a really interesting inversion game, which is kind of why I think Fowler goes towards the back on this one. Um, so I think Fowler moves on based on based on those reasons. Other side of the bracket. We have an absolute. We have Nikki Rod versus Andy Varela. This is a match that we saw in the ADCC absolute opening round, I think. And we saw Nikki Rod. I think the technical term is do work. Yeah, I think it was the first. I think yeah, yeah, it was the opening I round think of the absolute bracket. Nikki Rod picks up like seventeen points on Varela before finishing him. Um, I don't. I think Varela is just coming off an injury. Varela may or may not pull out of this because he did pull out of something recently. We don't know. Um, again, with any recent rematch, even if it's a different rule set, like I am hesitant to pick anyone but Nicky Rod because of how dominant he was in the first performance there. Like nothing about that performance indicates to me that anything will change or anything will anything will be different from September to December now. I, I think this version of Nicky Rod, unless you are Gordon Ryan himself, it's very hard to see anybody beating him, especially when you see that he's he's more than just explosive wrestling guy. Dude, listen to the Simple Man podcast and listen to Nicky Rod talk about his performance at EBI. I think we talked about it last week on the you show. You did. It was like, oh, I'm doing jujitsu things like, I now. I did jujitsu. And but, like, but he's happy about it. And like, he's like, oh, I have other tools now that I can use. And now he's playing jujitsu with a jujitsu guy and he has the stuff that got him to the dance too that he's, he is a tactical guy that's not going to forget that versus a dangerous guy like Varela. More specifically, just on the passing, though, when you just see, okay, I'm going to be way stronger than all these other guys. Yep. I, even, like, his wrestling credentials aren't, like, high he's, school. like, uh, Division three, maybe also on top yeah, of Division three, yeah. So, right. but then, like, he's like, okay, I'm going from jacked, explosive-y, takedown-y guy to actually adding pressure and passing to that yeah. game, which he should. Hello, look at him. Yep. And then... Putting all that together, it's like this version of Nicky Rod, not only is he very fun to watch, not only is he still very explosive and strong, but like those actual jujitsu elements that he's folding into his game make this sort of event very tailored to him and make it's very uh, beneficial to us as the viewers. It's going to be very TV friendly on yeah, top of that. Which I think is good, which is, again, good matches. Yep. Uh, moving. So I think we both think Nicky Rod takes that. Yes. Uh, I think he subs him. Yeah. I think, he'll, I think he'll get the back again like he did at ADCC. And sub. Yeah. Well, lower side of the right-hand bracket, we have Richie Martinez versus Oliver Taza. Uh, interesting ma- interesting matchup. I'm going to go Taza here. Recently, ADCC, like, Richie Martinez is great coach, put a lot of guys on the level, but overall, it's been a while before since we have seen him. When was the last time we've seen him in a high-profile match? Like, was, was that Emeralds? No, not Emeralds. No. What was that other New York one? Um, Rise. But that was, I think he hasn't been on Rise in a while. 
I'm, I'm struggling to think of a recent Richie Martinez match where he has looked phenomenal and Oliver Taza has looked very, very good recently. Um, Richie Martinez is crafty, but Oliver Taza, I think the leg lock game that Oliver Taza brings historically when Boogie runs up against like really, really upper echelon elite leg lockers like Craig Jones, he can get caught. I think that Taza is going to be like, he's going to be able to game plan for Richie. I think Richie will throw some kind of crafty stuff. Um, I think we'll see a buggy choke. I think we'll see some really interesting like half guard work and like jailbreak work from him. But I think that Taza is going to know that's coming because he's going to plan for it and he's going to be able to work around that. And he's going to be able to get to either, he's going to probably get the knee bar or the heel hook on Richie Martinez. Yeah. So moving on to the next round of this, we got Heisem versus Fowler. I love Heisem. I, I don't think he beats Fowler. I don't think Especially he beats Especially if it's not Fowler. EBI rule set, but I, I... Yeah. That could be a fire match. It could that be. Could, I think it could be a great... This this is one that could be hit or miss. But I think... I'm, I'm going to go Fowler here just because, yes. like... Fowler's consistent, dude. Whatever you want to say about the guy, that dude is consistent, mm. whereas Heisem can be hot and cold. But if there's anyone that can pull a quick sub... When was like, the last time Fowler got flash subbed by anybody, though? I, I keep thinking about 2019 Craig Jones yeah. with the guillotine. But mm. I, it's not frequent. It is not a frequent occurrence. Yeah, just style-wise, I, I take Fowler all yeah. day, even though it goes against all of my own personal biases. I also feel like the Fowler-Nicky Rod match is the probably the most entertaining one that this bracket could produce, yeah. which is why they're on opposite so corners we got, of the bracket. So we got Nicky Rod versus Taza, former training partners, trained together. I think that Nicky Rod takes that. Nothing mm-hmm. Nothing about his game indicates that he's not going to be able to take that. I he's think he be blows to, through Taza. Yeah, he's going to have the size. Yeah. And Taza, has, Taza looks amazing, but if you can stifle his game and you can prevent him from getting to that inverted knee bar or to the heel hook or to be able to pass around you, like... He, he, but everything about Nicky Rod's current game, I think, undoes yes. all of Taz's strength, and that's the problem. It's like it's a it's a it's a nightmare style matchup yes. with a strong athletic guy who also knows your game. Mm-hmm. Again, Taz's both of them are crafty, and I got I used to not give Nicky Rod enough credit for being crafty. Both guys are really crafty, but I just think this is a yeah. You're bigger, stronger. You can hold him down. You get around him with that with the body lock passing he's going to implement. We saw in Yuri Samos. We saw in Pana. On Felipe, like, like on Felipe if, Pana. If you pass Pana, yeah, five thousand times on the highest stage in the world, wh- how are you not going to run through? Yeah, someone that you know so well like Taza. Yeah, that that knowledge and experience of his game, I think, is going to fa- favor Nicky Rod being the stronger athlete. Because like you know what to, you know what to do versus the guy again. Taza also knows Nicky Rod, but I think that the the size and athleticism will negate a lot of like what cra- what like crafty stuff Taza could do, and that's typically where you see Taza do the best is like when he can just when he can be crafty in his game. But that's going to get kind of I think slowed down by Nicky Rod. So finals, Nicky Rod versus Fowler. If you go Nicky Rod, yeah, you go Nicky Rod. I, I think Nicky Rod steamrolls his way through the whole bracket. Like and I, I think we see him do jujitsu. Fowler has played spoiler many times though. EBI rules. Uh, I actually still go Nicky Rod there. I still go Nicky Rod for all of this. Fowler continues to surprise me though. Whenever I see him in an EBI rule set, I'm always like, I've counted him out so many times, and I've been wrong so many times. I don't want to, but I do have a rule that I always pick Nicky Rod. 
Uh, That's a good rule to have. It's, it's been a very, very good rule for me over the years. I also think Nicky Rod blows through this whole tournament and doesn't sub anybody. And then I, I think they I try think to he's... make the Gordon Ryan matchup again because now he's the champion and now Gordon's on the same card and they're former teammates. So there's beef they can sell. And they had the match at, e- at ADCC. So, But do I do any of us really want to see that matchup I don't right think so, now, but though. I think that is a talking point. UFC is good about crafting their brand and imagery. I think that you have a absolute tournament champion and you have Gordon Ryan on the same card that is the reasonable match to expect to make with whoever is the champion here with Fowler if it's Nicky Rod if it's Rita if it's Gaudio if it's Richard Martinez if it's Taza if it's Shangoli if it's there's Varela all of those guys there's a storyline to be made because now you have the UFC Invitational Absolute Champion versus the King Gordon Ryan but who cares about the Fight Pass Invitational Champion UFC does yes UFC will Okay, but how much really are they in the promotional grappling game, really? Like, a couple they, times a year. One time a year. One time a year. So, okay, maybe they do this next December, sure. But Nicky Rod has to win something big in between now and then to generate any sort of interest in that rematch yeah. because we're so fresh off of just the big brothering of him yeah. months ago at this point. I three, think Three months ago? Yeah, Nicky Rod at least has to win something huge in between now and then. Five like, invitational. He has to 25 win- 25 like, grand. You no, know, something huge in the grappling world. Like Even even if it's Emerald City or if it's yeah, big, one of the uh, IBJJF Grand Prix, even though I don't really know how many IBJJF well, events. Well, he can't. He can't he's not Rod. a black belt. IBJJF would never do that. True. He's still, a techni- <laughs> he's still technically a brown belt in the biggest affront to grappling that currently exists. Or some, or a who's number one event or a yeah. something, that not the Fight Pass Invitational, even right. though they put together a baller eight-man bracket I think, honestly, that the, I'm going to watch all of it. Yeah, I think one of the best brackets we've seen them put together. Like this is, I'm very excited. There's a lot of ways that this could go completely haywire, and I'm down for it. And that's good matchmaking. But just to touch on Nicky Rod and the progression of his game one last time, I think he blows through this bracket, and he does so in a matter that a way that you a lot of like old school freestyle, not old school, a lot of traditional freestyle uh, freestyle wrestlers will do, where they're like, oh, I'm just gonna like tech this guy to show them that you're my son. That I can't. I do think it. he just scores 20 points on everybody, and it's just gonna be a marvel to watch. So I'm excited for it. That does it for the preview for the UFC Fight Pass Invitational. Switching it up this week, Simon. Uh-huh. I'm going to do the previews before the uh, the recaps. Spicy. Spicy. All right, let's move on to the recaps here. We have the IBJJF Nogi World Championships 2022 off the heels of ADCC. And if we learn one thing, it's that, yeah, uh, guys that do well in ADCC or get to ADCC, Probably some of the best guys in the world. A lot of familiar faces. A lot of returning folks, both on the women's side and on the men's side. Uh, in a in a surprise to no one. That's kind of always been the flavor for it. Um, typically, it is less attended, especially in ADCC years. Mm-hmm. This year was kind of the case. A lot of guys, if you look through the, um, I think was it. I want to give credit where credits. I think Bloody Elbow. Yeah, Bloody Elbow did a really, really good round-by-round for all of the black belts. And I love the write-up because it shows who had buys in the first round, what happened. Like, it gives a very, very good overview of what happened. Flow has the results laid out, too. There's a couple of sites that did a good job this year. Mm -hmm. Bloody Elbow only has the points. That doesn't actually have how many points were scored. Mm -hmm. But I love that they—I looked through the rounds today because we weren't going to have enough time. It finished last night. 
yeah. late and then we both have jobs and stuff. Um, I wasn't able to watch through all of the black belt matches because that's just not feasible for the team that we have. And, and so I went to bed at like 10. Yeah. And so didn't have a chance to, it gives us a chance to kind of see the rounds and the brackets as they unfold without needing to like go and source every match ourselves. So I appreciate that Bloody Elbow uh, does coverage like that. It's very good. Also, I think we just heroes. Mm, no, I pulled, the, I pulled the wrong results for that one. I haven't seen it on Heroes yet, but a couple of organizations did it. Just Magazine did it as well. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start here? Do you want to start? Start with my people or your people? <sighs> start with my people. Okay. So we're going to start We're gonna start with the men's... I'm not a rooster weight. But you're still... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a tiny Hey, bird. everything like, to you over 200 is close to 300. Everything under 200 to me is like... 130. Yeah, that's reasonable. Those are close to my people, though. Uh, men's Roosterweight division, we had Osama Alwari defeating Rotira Lima. Are you better at names than everyone else on the podcast? Uh, not really, okay. but I'll do them if you really want me to. I mean, I, I can do them, but I didn't know if you were like, I'm actually good at names. Nah. All right, so good to know. Uh, it was by an advantage. This was really like a battle of leg locks. Yep. Um, it was in my notes. There's a couple notes where it's like multiple. That is the chief note in my. <laughs> multiple gross things happened. Um, a lot of really, really, like, and we saw IBJJF, the rule change for IBJJF, I think kind of one of the main talking points we talked about in the pre-show was that the change in allowing for reaping and heel hooks in black belt divisions at adult for IBJJF took a year and a half, two years to like get ready. But now this is, I think the first event that we're seeing where it's like, oh yeah, this is back to leg locks and entries are positions. Not necessarily like dead to rights. And this match, I think, Rooster Waits exemplifies that as one of the better finals matches. It's like... It was a positional battle where yeah. they were both going for their respective entries. And that, like you were saying... The, the, they were going for the entries. They weren't all the time going for the finishes. You were watching guys like get halfway stuffed into an entry or get into an entry and then have it escaped. And then it was used as a tool to like work to positionally advance your yes. game or come back or to fire off your own leg lock attempt. And it was... We're and that was across the board. Yes. Like yeah. strategy-wise, you see guys now that they can enter and they're not afraid of getting DQ'd or uh, uh, penalties at that point. You see them using those positional battles and it's overall changing the general strategies and gamesmanship of these top-level grapplers. So there was a really fun... uh, Lima at one point... So Lima loses the match, but he does have a really, really fun sequence where he goes, uh, fuck what we ball, and he Mm -hmm. just jumps and does like a jumping knee bar that looked deep. And the camera angle was great. Some of the camera angles were not great for the event, but this camera angle was great. And you could see the extension that he had like hipped up and over into it. And Osama was just like, nah, son, I'm good. I'm not going to tap to this and I'm not worried. And he gets his hips up. He turns, he changes the angle. And it was, it was just a very, very fun entry to watch. And then there were defense from Osama. You saw it come in that he really wasn't like, didn't even seem that bothered by it. Um, because he was able to get his hips up and into the knee bar and not let full, like, well, he did let full extension happen, but not let, like, breaking extension happen uh, horrifically on the leg. I did like the grip that Lima used. So traditionally, you teach the knee bar with the grip on the heel at the top to, to prevent the roll through. I do it, and I see a lot of guys do it. I always thought it was bad technique, or I, thought, I always thought there was, like, a better way to do it. I'm watching it now in professional grappling, a lot of guys and most like most guys just use the overarm grip mm-hmm. most of the time. And I'm not certain why I haven't like picked up on that. I've always seen it as a thing, but I've always known it as, well, you really should grab the heel. 
guys don't really grab the heel as much anymore. It's no. just not a thing you see. And so this match just triggered in my head because I just taught knee bars this week, like twice. I was going to say, you usually like, go for that over armpit guy yeah, too. Yeah, I go that too. Yeah. That. But again, I always teach to grab the heel. And I think in watching it and kind of thinking about all the high-level matches, very few guys still do that. I think I'm just going to start teaching it now with this grip that Lima uses, just a double over grip because you have enough control of the knee where you don't necessarily need to grab the heel for most positions, especially inverted positions like Lima grabs it from. Yeah, and I think also across the board, you you saw a lot more guys uh, wearing spats, I think, in mm-hmm. with the preparation of, okay, this is going to be a leg lock positional battle. This is going to be back and forth seesawing where I'm trying to get on top or sweep and or at the very least get the advantages. So we yeah. saw a couple of finals matches and same score, but uh, such and such one on one yeah. or two advantages. So very fun match. Uh, this ends with basically Osama getting a belly down ankle lock. It's tied on as because mm-hmm. of the back and forth and wins it on that belly down ankle lock that he gets point that he gets an advantage for at the end because it's a sub tight sub. You have his time expires. You get an advantage for it. Osama takes that. It was like seconds left. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He held it for a while. And then yeah. when the time ends, they give you an advantage after time mm-hmm. expires. So he gets, is the first, um, what country is he from? Oh, I just looked that up. Today. I looked Dang at his it. flag and I was like, cool. Um, but first, first Nogi world champion from that country. And I'm looking at the flag and I'm, going to blank on it but Otto Sky on the light featherweight we had Lucas Panero defeating Bebito Oliveira via advantage every time Lucas Panero wins something I feel less bad about getting my ass beat by him in Dallas it just, every time I see him win I'm just like that's fine that, 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 that horrific loss where he beat me with my A game is fine um, this was a lot of Panero on top and it was a slow match uh, yeah. Bebito really relies on his flexibility for big sections of the match but Panero scores an advantage and then uh, later in the match, gets it back to the guard and just kind of holds in like kind of... He seemed to... the aggressor the whole time. Even yeah. when he was like trying to stack him and it just seemed like the aggressor the yeah. entire time. Because he was forcing Babito in the range where Babito could never really get a lot of his guard inversion game going and he could never get really any of his sweeping game going. It was very, very interesting the range that Panero decided to play this from. And then once he gets the advantage... He gets down to the guard, and then he just holds like he's kind of trying to active pass, and he's like, hey, man, we're going to stall this out to the end. And double stalling penalty, double stalling penalty. Panero gets the other advantage for that because Bebito now has two advantages. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah, this was a weird match. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Panero takes that on advantages with great games. Again, not necessarily my favorite way to watch a match get won, but cannot fault Panera for knowing the rules, understanding we had to do to win, and holding Babito in that position so that there would be mirrored stalling penalties so that he could get the advantage. Uh, I got some issues with refing as per usual. Yeah. Um, there were... I watched this match, and I was like, oh, beginning match goes, Babito pulls guard with no grips. And it, they were kind of touching hands, but not something that you would term in IBGGF as a grip that you are legally allowed to pull guard off of without a negative. Mm-hmm. 40 seconds go by and I was like that's weird he didn't get the negative for that guard pull and then they stop the match they give him the negative and Jake Watson on commentary by the way great commentary team oh Chase, yes Chase and the Jake whole, Watson especially on the flow zone the whole dude, day on Sunday yeah it was awesome those guys do a <laughs> phenomenal job side note Osama al Mwari is from Yemen okay cool so Sorry, that was bugging me. No, it's good. I appreciate you got yeah. it, and I stalled for time as you looked it up. If I was listening to the podcast, I would have texted you tomorrow and been like, dude, he's from Yemen. Come on. Yeah. 
Yeah, you are you. Yeah, probably, but not very far you, from Editra. So like you, the whole that whole region, you should know. Them's my people. You text me more than I think. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much anyone else i love i love it though because like i love getting corrections for the show because it helps us do a better show um now you're going to be the guy simon when i text you and someone gives us a correction about like yeah i text you oh. so you're now in the in the loop of it bring it um it was anyway. very funny to have like the commentary call like yeah it's kind of 40 seconds late mm-hmm. uh and it's annoying we didn't have anything egregious this world championship where it was like someone got keenan or like brazilian mm-hmm. it would but it was a couple times like this where it's like they were slow to call stuff which or they were moving the points on the board taking the points off the board changing to an advantage stopping the match like there was a couple of matches and we'll get into one of them here in a minute the power went out on the scoreboard at one point that was yeah, funny that were like weird and it was weird to have kind of a basic call like this take so long to come onto the board again i don't think it changed the tactics for either guy but it was just weird for it to happen at a world level when your best referee is your best competitors that that takes like 40 seconds for them to decide that that was not enough contact. Again, if they're, I think they're using review now. So I do, I would much rather have a late call. Are they correct. only using review on uh, penalties that or people that are rolling out of bounds on submission attempts though? Is that it? I thought that's why they introduced it. They, I don't remember. Yeah. And I know they have a review criteria that is not well documented in the rules. Mm-hmm. I read the rule book recently because I needed to um, to prove a point on the internet. <laughs> um, that I hate that that's the reason it wasn't like for my own edification. It that, was like that's very on brand for you though. Don't it, it, don't be it, ashamed of it that. It really is. Just um, ride, ride with it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. But we saw, so I don't think it ch- changed the tactics of the match. It was just I would again. I'd much rather have a correct call that takes a long time to be made. I spent, especially with ADCC, like I'm more used to that now. Where it's like, hey man, you do whatever you can do on the mat. Points come on the board and points come on the board. I appreciate that because then you get correct points on the board most of the time yeah. versus like points, no points, add, no add, flip add, not add. It's like it gives the competitors something where it's like, okay, there's nothing on the board. Okay, there is something on the board versus changing it or needing to redact a call. I would love to see them on the board quicker, but again, this is a that's, better scenario. That's at least within the human margin of error, though, in terms yeah. of just officiating at all. Like we were talking about it before the show. If you look at like worldwide sporting events, there are bad calls in the Super Bowl. There are bad yeah. calls in the World Cup. Let alone combat sports, there are going to be bad calls. Like, bad calls this weekend in the UFC. Jeez, there are some bad calls. That that's a whole other episode show, everything entirely. But Simon and I love sports betting, and uh, sometimes we get up, we get upset when things don't work out. With some of us post, lost post hundreds of dollars in potential earnings this week because, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, by the way, now sports betting is now legal in the state that we live in. Oh, it's um, so much fun. And it's, been a, it's not going to be a problem, but it... I mean, for some people, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. For, for me, it's I'm getting a better Christmas for my kids. So, yeah, well, uh, and it's, the officiating though, I felt like, like you were mentioning it earlier. Yeah. Nobody got Keenan this year. Right. There was not a world champion that got stripped away because of bad officiating. Yeah. So something like that, and with with guard pulling though, it's so common. I feel like I didn't even really see it when it happened because you're so used to the guys that this is their a game. Right. They're gaming whatever rule set it is in order to just try to. Yeah. Not obviously just Again, sit on their butt. I, and I hate in. less on the athlete for gaming the rule, but no. it was just an interesting. It was interesting that this call took as much time as it took in an event. That like was this. the yeah yeah. That was that was my only point I was making mm-hmm. here. By the way, so we have uh, Lucas Panero taking that over Bito Oliveira via advantage. Um, yeah, played it well. Moving on to the next match. This was spicy. Yep. Uh, Gianni Grippo versus Gavin Corbray. Again, we talk about Gavin Corbray a lot. I've commentated a bunch of his matches when he competed for Copa Virginia in their cash prize divisions. We watched his run at Nogi Pans. 
he is a local guy to us. Uh, thank God he does these tournaments and not local tournaments so that he's not beating my ass at featherweight <laughs> uh, locally. Or, yeah, this is he's at featherweight here. Um, it would be fun to have a match, but it would be, you know. Yeah, I'm no. very happy he's on the world stage and not competing locally uh, because he's he's a Maryland guy. Mm-hmm. Um this was, I have great notes here. Uh, we had, I don't know where to start with this match. This was back and forth, leg lock entries from both guys, a ton of De La Hiva, reverse De La Hiva, inversions, kiss of the dragons, attempts from both guys, spin outs, turnouts, single leg acts. Like, this was a 10 minute match where they were just going for it for 10 mm-hmm. minutes, but it wasn't that. It wasn't the leg locks we saw a couple of years ago where it's like both guys are kind of like have the one entry they like and like they just kind of hit each other and no one really ever gets deep in anything. This was both guys willing to play the game, willing to get deep in the leg locks and like see where they're going and pass up. And like they did both guys looked like they were playing for the sub and would take the points if they were available to them. Both guys didn't look like that they were going to be like, I'm going to get my two points and stall here. Mm-hmm. Like, no, they were both into the leg locks enough where you could see offense and great defense. Like every time that Gavin would go for the heel hook, he would turn Gianni out every time. But a couple of times you see Gianni immediately step up and out. He would get his knee and leg behind Gavin's butt, push off, turn out, then immediately readdress in. Like he wouldn't even a lot of times pulley yank his leg out. He would come back because he still had some hip control there and then begin passing again or begin to enter his own leg lock exchanger, teeter up. Like there were so many moments in this match that were just like, huh, that was played very well. Oh, that was played very well. And both guys, to have a good match, you need to have two competitors that are willing to kind of put it on the line. Both these guys were willing to do that. So I think this also touches again on the point you we were talking about earlier with the introduction a couple years ago of heel hooks and reaping, how it's changing yeah. game plans overall. I feel like that very much well suits Grippo's over his strength as a grappler. Yeah. But also like you were saying, the positional battle is no longer linear. It's no longer I go from A to B to right. it's this kind of web that's weaving in both the top and the bottom level of game plans where you're not just thinking like, oh, I'm going to go blah, 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 and then rip his heel off or whatever. It's that craftsmanship, that game planning, that meta of everything's blending together. And Leg it doesn't locks just have go turned into positions. Like yes. they are positions now. It's not like what we talked about on the pre-show. Um, like guys used to get saddled five years ago. And it was like a dead position. It was like, yeah, you get saddled here, and then you heel hook the guy. Mm-hmm. And it was called the 401. They had a bunch of names for it. They were basically like, this is a terminal position that you get a guy here, you win. And the whole point is to get the guy there, and then you win. Ric Flair used to hit it all the time in the 90s. I don't know if you remember. I don't know. Or that. before the 90s, even. But I but, watched it in the 90s. But now we're seeing like guys get to saddle. Like, Gavin gets to saddle here. And like Gianni's like, all right, cool. He'll pass out. Turns his leg out, opens his hips wide. Pat pushes the bottom, the top side leg down, pushes the bottom side leg out. And like, he passes out and turns and like it attacks his own leg entanglement. It was just the development that we are seeing now. And guys like Grippo that were historically not like big leg lockers, the comfort and confidence he has in now, and like watching him at Embleton Invitational and like moving into to have the Nogi game that takes again to take his third world title in Nogi for the IBJJF really speaks and just shows how much that game has developed over the last couple of years. And a guy like young guys like Corbray, new black belts coming in with that knowledge and with that depth and veterans like Grippo kind of meeting in the middle where it's like, yeah, these are all just positions now. We're just doing jujitsu. Um, well, that, f- that sequence where we we're just, you were just talking about before the show 
It was tied up when yeah, it was two, it was, goes it was to the four and four. So they teeter tottered yes. back and forth. I think it was it was two teeter sweeps each. So basically, from the open seated guard or some leg entanglement, mm. there had been a sit down and a come up like two times for each guy. And then Grippo grabs a toehold and he grabs it on the leg not controlled with his leg he, on the free leg yes. you know in a way that you typically don't see guys finish um and then unless he, it's a few years ago where yes, a few years the, ago the dudes that were great at toeholds were like i'm going to rip your foot in half. and they did a lot of times gavin carberry is a tough fucking dude yep dude that leg it would looked gross but i loved both grippo and gavin in this match they were rolling out of bounds and then made the decision. They went, oh, I'm rolling out of bounds. I better, like, defend my foot by moving my foot, move my hands and shift my hands, and then rotate. And then Gavin starts to do that because earlier in the match, he had been on a heel hook that Gianni Grippo had rolled, rolled, rolled to the edge of the mat. And then you saw Gianni Grippo go, oh, rolling to the edge of the mat. Oh, if this is a submission off the mat that I'm defending legitimately by moving this direction. He's going to score two points on me. And you see Grippo walk his hands so that they can change the angle. So they basically like a little train station. They turn like a rotary thing for how you turn a train. Mm-hmm. They get to the edge. Grippo kind of turns them, turns them, turns them. And then he keeps rolling back into bounds. And I went, that just would have never happened two years ago. Yeah. That just, you guys didn't do that. It was because like, off the mat, like IBJJF has changed their rules for submissions off the mat. They've changed the way you can play the edge. And overall, you've gotten really cool gamesmanship items where it's a Grippo goes, oh, tactically and technically, I don't want to go off the mat here because I will be scored on. So I will continue my defense and turn us here and then continue my defense in this direction. And it was just, it was just great to see that level of comprehension and understanding in the position and then gavin does the same thing but grippo is able to keep pushing gavin and forcing him to turn in this nasty open-toed uncontrolled toehold mm-hmm. off the mat scoring the two that would inevitably win him the match here so overall i think the biggest point to take away from that is you no longer have to be the leg locky guy it's no yeah. longer the gimmick it's a fundamental part of championship grappling at this yeah, level. Yeah, you no longer have to be the leg lock guy, but you no longer can't be the leg lock guy. Correct. Like it's just not a, like it is no longer a skill set that you cannot be a black belt in. You have to be really really good if you want to take black belt titles and like Grippo changed his game and like showed that like again, another world title under the old rules, under the new rules. Johnny Grippo still got it. I'm super happy that he healed his knee injury and he's back. Cannot wait to see him in trials again or in the next big Nogi event. Like, again, I love watching Grippo. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the lightweight bout. Dante Dillon dropping in the lightweight. Uh, takes on Carlos Henrique. He takes that via two points. Mm-hmm. Dante plays the perfect range here, dude. Mm-hmm. He leverages his athleticism, gets around. Like, he forces... For winning, not for entertainment, necessarily. Not for entertainment, no. but like, but for winning. Yes. And again, I, I, as we do the show more and more, I, I try to like... I fault guys less for how they win and more that, yep, you got it done, whatever you needed to do. Um, Dante plays at a very safe range, but he continues to put pressure on Carlos for a lot of this bout. And then late in the match, they have a, they have a, fun, a fun sequence um, where Carlos is down and he goes, okay, they stand up. And then Carlos, with a minute 20 seconds left, shoots. Mm. Dante, like, sprawls down, doesn't quite get the, the hand off the single leg, sprawls down again, and then comes up and then snaps down Carlos Henrique. And I went, that was a wild sequence to watch because Dante, like, he sprawls just enough out of the single leg to make Carlos's hands come down and he has to catch himself and come back up. 
and then he gets his Dante gets his chest over Carlos's back and then snaps him down to the mat to score the point. Oh no, to not score the points, but to get him down. Correct. Carlos rolls, and then later in the match, Dante it was a minute and a half left of the match. Mm-hmm. Dante sits, and then Carlos tries to do what Francisco Lowe did to Oliver Taza at Nogi Pans. The jumping flying triangle over the guard. Dante sees it, doesn't get subbed, lifts over, does a tech sweep up with it, grabs the leg. Carlos does a great job, turns belly down, but still standing. Dante grabs the back of the... Was there a wrestling term for this thing? Um, jeez. He grabs the... Dante grabs the back of the calf with the with the shin on his own shoulder with, yeah. with Carlos facing away from him and basically walks Carlos around. And commentary, Jake Watson, picks it up immediately. He goes, man, it's not a great way to finish it, but it is a great way to eat time. And Dante Leon, because he's up at this point on ads can take his time here, and then Carlos knows he has to go, dives for the knee bar on Leon, and Leon stuffs it, and then gets top position for two points, mm-hmm. and that's the entire match. But it was just it was just really, really nice gamesmanship off of like something that Francisco, not Francisco Lowe, different guy, same technique, that Carlos Henrique had to do versus Leon, which is like, I have to shoot this triangle because I'm down mm-hmm. with a minute left, and Leon is able to just counter it, score points and take a very comfortable victory here and he takes again another world title i interviewed dante after his first nogi world title at kasai you can find the inter- that interview on the grappling ground youtube page and i asked him about closing out with a teammate because he uh, closed out with um john that's john satava uh with um i'm gonna blank on who he closed out i don't with. even remember that yeah he closed okay. out he closed out with a teammate and i'm blanking on who he closed out with then. Um, I'm looking at the guy's face. And he, so he talked about closing out. It's cool to see him. And he goes, yeah, it was, I, he didn't have a world title. I didn't have a world title. We weren't going to close out. It is cool to see Dante Leon. I remember just remember him saying that. Yeah. Now he has a world title and he still he has another one here. So mm-hmm. I like seeing the progression of Dante Leon. Been following him since I think Purple Belt before we even did the show. So hmm. really, really cool. I learned about him from you. So whatever hey, that was, that's when I learned. Five years <laughs> of the show. Um Next match, we have a middleweight match. Andy Murasaki defeating Igor Fels. And commentary wasn't super familiar with Igor. I wasn't super familiar with Igor. Looked good throughout the tournament. But, man, Andy Murasaki is a tough dude to crack. First half of the match was pretty not super interesting. No, but from the point where he got to Butterfly... Or even no, the, I watched. The, it looked like attempts right before that one also. That was neat, but the, the butter, but the butterfly entry is I very main like. I was like, I okay. watched this over and over and over <laughs> and over because again, I'm playing with the false reap now because I'm like, it's a technique that I watch couch use. I'm like, I gotta figure out how to do that better, and we're seeing it now in the IBJJF. We're seeing it used as a tool. Play a ton of butterfly guard. Andy Murasaki did a thing that I am trying to incorporate in my game, and I went, all right, how do you do that? And Igor, to his credit had a great counter when he did it. Oh, I thought you, I thought <laughs> you were about to say <laughs> No, sorry, that's me. That's me getting a drink and throwing it to you for you to describe oh, yeah, the sequence. Not usually mid-sentence. Anyway, yes. So he did try to shake him off at that point, but like you were pointing out, which again was a very main like thing to do, he re-grips and just yanks that yeah. leg back to bring the, the whole, uh, knee the line past. The sequence is wild. Mirasaki from the double arm grip on the butterfly guard gets Igor coming in throws the hands up over the head to enter like you would for like a a knee bar from the bottom from butterfly guard from that position he goes to the side he goes for the false reap on the leg Mm -hmm. 
Igor goes, uh-uh, my man, and just yanks his leg up and lifts Andy Mirasaki with him as he tries to yank him out. Mirasaki, in transition, scoops under for the heel hook. They land. Mirasaki goes, ah, my knee isn't in a great position to finish this heel hook. Let me pass it to the other side. Passes it over to inside 50-50, changes the grip again, and then finishes the heel hook. Yeah, so you don't have kids, but when they do the thing where they like hold on to dad's leg and dad like walks around like he's a yeah. giant. Yeah, this is sort of that sequence yes. where he tries to literally just yank his leg out, but as But just, usually that works in Nogi. Like a lot of times that works and I so I But the commitment to like keeping that knee past his leg line and just getting that bite back on the Murasaki's heel. Murasaki's like, a middleweight. <laughs> to lift your entire body up with the grip that he had off that leg. And like, and then in transition, scoop under to get that grip. It's not, it is special jujitsu. It is not something that we see on a regular basis. And it was, it was very, I very, very much enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Like, that's wild shit in a world finals match for Nogi Mm -hmm. for IBJJF. Like, very nice to see cool highlight reel subs. And again, love seeing Andy Marisaki finish. Uh, Very, very fun very fun match. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the medium heavy. We're getting into your people, Simon. Uh, we're uh, getting there, yeah. Jontez Gracie defeats Sebastian Rodriguez via points three to uh, three to two. This got uncomfortable. Oh, it did. This- so I I watched Sebastian Rodriguez. I comment. I commentated. Um, I judged a bunch of his matches at the ADCC Open. Uh, he was getting coached by Merlo. Merlo could still coach at ADCC. Um, and a bunch of guys were telling me, like, during the day, like, between matches, like, how good he is. Like, oh, that's, that's got to watch. That's got to watch. And, like, we'd watched him. I'd seen him before. We'd seen him. We've covered him before. But watching him in person at the ADCC Open was like, oh, oh, this is a dude that we need to, like, I need to pay special attention to. He looked good here. Yeah. But Jonathan Gracie, one knee or two knees, is a tough dude to crack. Sebastian Rodriguez... Scores first here. Not a lot done in the first five minutes, but about five minutes in, Sebastian Rodriguez goes for an ankle lock. And you mm-hmm. see Jonathan Gracie, like, he's got a knee brace on. You're like, ah, that's not really a big deal. A lot of guys have knee braces on. And you mm-hmm. see uh, Sebastian, like, crank on an ankle lock that doesn't really look like it's a tight ankle. It looks like it's tight. And he kind of switches to an Aoki lock, but it's kind of going out of bounds. And it's not like, it doesn't look like Jonathan Gracie is about to tap to it. It looks like, ah, that's annoying. He's got to deal with that. They go out of bounds. And then you see the restart, mm-hmm. and you see Jonathan Gracie stand up, and you see him go like, "Oh!" Mm-hmm. And you see him limp hard, and not be comfortable, and limp back to the center of the mat. And you're like, "Oh, that leg is fucked." Mm-hmm. Can he get this done with like a compromise? Like even commentary goes, "Ooh, that leg." I think they said that leg is compromised. Yeah. Uh, my note says, "Ooh, that leg is fucked." Yeah. Uh, the knee, the knee specifically, all caps because I had caps locks on for this match. <laughs> Um, but then he goes and he locks up that leg. The he does the the bad leg immediately after the reset. Yep, and it just it, it hurt me watching. Yeah. <laughs> you watch it was like oh cool. Like Sebastian knows now he has to attack for that leg yep. because why you've had a guy slow to get up, come back over, and it's like in a world championship level. Like hey man, uh, you have a good leg, you have a bad leg. I want a gold medal, so I'm going to go for the bad leg because mm-hmm. that's what you of do. Of course, yes. And, and I, I, nobody, nobody faults anyone for that no. in grappling. I do love how brutal this sport is where everyone goes, oh, it's taped up. Go for that one. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, oh, of course. And it's also why uh, judo guys tend to tape both of their hands equally. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a thing I picked up from uh, one of my first judo coaches like 10 years ago was like he would always tape whatever injury he had. 
he would tape both hands exactly the same so that you never knew what hand it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's cold. That's a, some stone cold shit. Yeah. Um, but it's for this reason. And Sebastian Rodriguez kind of keys into that. Isn't able to get anything done. He is able with a leg lock exchange to turn Jonathan Gracie over because Gracie tries to kind of tech out of it and get up, gets to the bottom, can't invert himself. And then Sebastian Rodriguez is up 2-0 in a close match with mm-hmm. Jonathan Gracie's knee. On the reset, immediately, Jonathan Gracie goes, not today, my guy. Diving knee cut through with the underhook. That was insane, like how explosive he was at that Dude, point in the match. He dove scarf hold, like a modified scarf hold from a reset and got it and got his points on it. And then he used the grip that we're seeing a ton of, that overhand grip to on the, on the shoulder to immediately try to fight for the back. Mm-hmm. And then Sebastian does a great job of defending it, but he's already had the three points scored on him. Um, they end, you know, with some back and forth. And then the match ends. John Gracie wins. He goes, yes. And then immediately, like, just lifts his leg up. And the medics come over. They're like, no, 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 no. Stop doing that. This is hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> the medics immediately go, is it fucking? He goes, yeah, man, it's fucked. I won a world title, though, so it's all good. And uh, so perhaps John Gracie, again, sh- just showing the level of grit and toughness to, like, go out with a bum knee or whatever he's got going on with a, a knee sleeve on and win a world title versus like a super dangerous guy in Sebastian Rodriguez. Yeah. Moving on to the um, heavyweight division. That final that never happened. Andre Proferio. So we got two matches that didn't happen, both in the men's divisions. We're going to talk about them. Uh, let's, uh, let's, do, let's, let's do ultra heavy first. Okay. Then let's talk about the open class and let's talk about this match. So ultra heavyweight. Oh, no, super heavy. Ultra heavy. Super heavy. Super heavy was Sassoni and Trova. Yeah, we didn't talk about them. Huh. Uh, yeah, I um, all of my notes got deleted. Ah, there we go. Good. There it Ooh. is. I, had a, I was staring at just a blank note, and I had like a paragraph. And hey, it's, hey, hey. It's These are my people. What's there, up? There's something between heavy and ultra heavy. <laughs> the, su- the super heavyweight division. Henrique Sassoni defeats Felipe Trovo via advantage. All right, Simon, take it over for your people. Okay, this was... Uh, not exactly the most uh, stellar matchup in terms of advocating for heavyweight uh, grappling at the highest of levels where it all basically came down to who was going to game the system best. In, Sometimes uh, it'd be like that, Simon. Hey, Sometimes okay. it'd be like that. As someone who watches folk-style wrestling, like I love watching the NCAA wrestling tournament every year, especially when you get to certain weight classes, you're like, okay, who's going to game the ref best? Yeah. And even like when I was in like high school and I wrestled club in college, I was not good. Don't think this is me bragging about my credentials. But I had a teammate who was a master at figuring out how to actively stall and just sort of like look at ref in the eye and be like, ref, I'm working, ref, I'm working, where he was not working at all. This actually got to the point where, like we were talking about earlier, the, the points – system now and like how points are being played rolling out of bounds things like that you start to realize okay he cannot be passive at this point um i forgot what point of the match it was actually didn't take down notes on sony or so my my for for trovo towards the end of the match i will sum up my entire notes for this match is uh the points got really confusing because i know the points Mm -hmm. and the points on the board kept moving. Yes. And they kept shifting. And the commentary was doing a phenomenal job of explaining like what was happening. Yes. And then we'd go from 2-2 two, two, to 2-0 two to, zero, to so, an advantage being added, to an advantage being taken away, to a penalty, to not a penalty. It was... There was like one add, one penalty at one point. And then it was to the point where if he had backed up again, you thought, okay, he might... Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Sissoni might or Trevor might actually score here. Right. Uh, because if you get if you get so IBGGF the rules are if you're not familiar, uh, you get one penalty. It's just a penalty. No one gives a shit. Uh, it can decide the match if you're even on score for everything else. If that's the deciding factor, the person with the penalty will lose. The person without the penalty will win. Second penalty, it's a penalty. Your opponent gets an advantage awarded to them. Third penalty, your opponent gets two points awarded to them. Mm-hmm. Fourth penalty, you're disqualified. It's a system. We've talked about the rules before, but that's the system that they yes. use. So it matters after the first penalty. If there's score on the board, the first penalty kind of doesn't matter if their scores are different because it's not a deciding factor. But as soon as a second penalty comes into play, then you're giving your opponent an advantage. As soon as a third penalty comes into play, you're giving them points. And so it can drastically change what's going on. And so if you're going to follow, with this match was a very, very tactical yeah. match. The score was tied at that point. So well maybe, he, well, maybe it was tied. The way that it seemed at that point the score was tied. Had he gotten one more penalty, that would have been game. Right. Yes. So, I, again, the, the officiating I don't think was bad at all. I think it was well within the margin of human error, especially when you look at a championship event. I just think, so my, my gripe with it is, this is the best guys in the world. If there's ambiguity with the score and we're like multiple pieces in the score are changing simultaneously, stop the match, get the score correct. Now let the viewer and especially the athletes understand the stakes and criteria of what's going on so that they can make tactical decisions because this was such a like fairly slower tactical match between both guys it was very hard to figure out and my notes are kind of poor for this to figure out why and explain why people were making certain tactical decisions because the score kept changing throughout the match i also think across the board you saw a few atos guys in these situations where they were playing the system as best they possibly yeah, can. And that's one of the things that Galvao and Andre is, is so good at doing. Like people talk about him he has one of the best knowledges of the rule sets and like the gray area rules and, like how everything works exactly how you need to score and win. Mm-hmm. And so he carries that onto his camps, especially if he's in your corner. Like that's a dude that knows every rule, knows exactly how every rule works. You don't win that many world titles while having a really, really good grasp of all different rule sets. World Pro, ADCC, IBJJF, like, he's won them all. You do that by knowing what the criteria is to score and win. Um, And where am I at? Uh, Henry Sassone wins by advantage. Uh, The final score I have for this is, let's see, match ends. Two to zero with one penalty and one negative for uh, two negative for Sony. Mm-hmm. Zero points, but possibly two points and three advantages and one negative for Trovo. Mm-hmm. Because I, at the end of the match, could not figure out if they had given Trovo the two points or not. I had thought it was two points. Therefore, that's why the had he gotten one more penalty, I thought right. that would have made it game. Yeah. yeah, but again, it made it made it confusing for how you determine the games instead of the match. Mm-hmm. So, moving on. To your people, Simon. Ultra heavyweight division. Roberto Cyborg Abreu defeats Victor Hugo 2-0 to zero in what is essentially an annual match. Yes. Like, these it, guys meet up, and I love it every year, and I get confused as shit every single year because come January, I forget what match happened in what division and in what year because these guys have fought each other a number, like... Multiple promotions, multiple rule set. Yes. And, and multiple times in the open class... And in the weight at IBJJF And Worlds. often in the same year, too. So you yeah. see them in two different right. IBJJF events, in the finals, and in the open class. There was one where Cyborg won his division, 
and then and then Victor Hugo kneebarred him in the other one. And Is I that forget Nogi Worlds last year, last year, two years ago. Again, I don't I don't remember. This match happens a All lot. Right, you're right. You're and right, honestly, you're right. every time I'm down to watch this match, it's two guys that are very very close mm-hmm. that play disparate different games. Like they're Victor, huge. They're huge and they're athletic and they bring a really unique like style. That is very different, but very successful for both guy. Uh, Cyber wins this because he can fucking wrestle, dog. I know, but I this is the match that I want Hugo to for the future of the sport and for the future of the division. You want Hugo to go over in this match. You want him to sort of take the reins and yeah. become the next guy because you want because Cyber's forty one or forty two and still out there doing the damn thing. Thank you, Asai and Jesus. Thank you, Asai and Jesus. We'll get to that in the next match. Both Asai and Jesus. Yeah, we both need to talk Asai about right and now. Jesus. Um, Cyborg takes uh, gets a single. Gets like kind of like not even a really great single leg, but he just like a snatch single, mm-hmm. and then drives it up. He lifts Victor Hugo's leg up, which is a task in and itself. And then he gets kind of close to the edge, kind of close to the side. And Victor Hugo goes, eh, "I'm gonna pull and mm-hmm. see where it goes." He gets he gives Cyborg the two. Yep. Cyborg almost like a minute later gets triangled by Victor Hugo, and then decides he's just not gonna get triangled. Frames and I haven't seen a ton of guys use this defense. The commentator brought up that who people that do it, but it's not a defense I see super commonly. With his untrapped arm, he frames on Victor Hugo's face and the face itself in order to yank himself out of this triangle. Mm-hmm. And I went, that is a very like high level defense that you are very confident in if you're going to do it. He yanks out. That was sort of the the only point scored in the match. Cyborg's looking for outside passing. He's kind of stalling at points in the match, late in the match. Mm-hmm. But really, he got his points early. And then the Victor Hugo had to be the aggressor here. He scored the two, like, within the first few minutes. I think it? within the first couple. I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't take down timestamps or no. anything like that, but it was quick. And then, you know, we got interrupted for commercial break. We did. So let's talk about that. Um, in the broadcast, for some reason, so Flo has made it even worse now. How I don't know how. So we were bitching about we bitch about frequently about the picture and picture they do, where the broadcast that you're paying to watch becomes like one eighth of the screen size, and then the other seven eighths of the screen size become an advertisement and like something else. But at least you can still see what's going on. What Flo has done now is they just pause the live broadcast. They, without warning, no fade or anything, they just hit you with uh, an ad for like... A PSA for Jesus. Well, sometimes it's a Dodge Ram ad, but this time okay. it was a PSA for Jesus. Like on behalf of Jesus. On behalf of Jesus, which was... You're, Simon, you're more of a Jesus guy I'm, than myself. I'm a Jesus guy. I am a fan of his work. Um, not a fan of all of his people, but I... I who are you selling? That was like, it was a what? weird. It made me unco- it made me really uncomfortable midway through watching two grown men fight. Um, like I, this is not the target demo. This is yeah. not the right moment. Like, Just, can you imagine if in like to to bring more uh, mainstream sports in a perspective here? Can you imagine if during the Super Bowl, in not during a commercial break or not during a, even a TV timeout, which they purposely schedule inside of these games? Can you imagine if like on the middle of a possession, they're at the forty yard line, and then all of a sudden they went and they were like. Hey, I want to talk to you about my Lord and Savior. That's that's what happened. This was a world finals match, and it was like, bing, midway, like, and then the commercial happens, and then you're right back to where you were at the match, and I'm like, oh, I looked away because it was a commercial, and I'm trying to watch the match again, but it was just, they found a way to make a paid service worse, and look, man, 
I already pay like what is it one fifty one sixty one seventy whatever it is per year. Maybe I'm already kind of unhappy. I'm, you know what? Honestly, with the show, I'm happy to pay that. I wish the service was a little better. I wish there were some things they did. They have made a lot of really good changes that make the sport able to be covered now, and I can appreciate that. I don't appreciate a lot of their business practices and other things they do and the banning of photographers at events and like a bunch of other stuff where they make, especially what we do and fans, harder to enjoy the sport. And more expensive. Bro, I'll pay 200 bucks. Just don't give me fucking ads. Like, like if that's if that's the thing. Like, hey man, no ads at all. Like, our, 150 should already grant me that. Mm-hmm. It really should for the niche sport that we watch at the production quality that we have. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just don't do that. And like, like it's, even it's you see it on good. other streaming platforms also, where they have like multiple tiers. Like, this is the cheapo tier, and you'll right. get occasional ads. And then if you buy for the premium tier, you'll right. get no ads. This one is just unexplainable where they literally stop the feed entirely. Yeah, they just In pause the middle it. of they just pause the it. most interesting part. And FYI, so I've talked to some broadcasters that are on the platform. Uh, no one knows that they do this. <laughs> I've talked to promoters that are like, I was unaware this happened during my event. I will look at my contracts. Um, That's very smart of them. Like. This is, yep. it's literally in the middle of yeah. a potential touchdown scoring drive yeah. in the Super Bowl. Of a world Let's just title. cut the feed from, with, right. and without telling your commentators, then there's not even a quick sign up. Well, Let's hear a, from our commercial it's sponsor. It's not even that. It's, it's the feed just pauses. So you're no longer watching the live match. You're now delayed by that commercial interstitial. And then they cut the match. You don't miss it. Luckily, you don't miss anything. So it's like, I do appreciate that now, at least, I'm not missing anything with the ad. But, like, Flo has that fucking commercial break thing that plays after every match. Play it there. Mm-hmm. You already have, this event is a commercial. No, it's not. It's an on-screen broadcast overlay. Play your commercial there where you're doing it. Where you already where you just telling have the F up on there's the, a commercial. The, like, don't do it mid-match. Do it. When you're saying that there's a commercial, play the commercial, man. So, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. But you have a space for that already. Don't cut my matchman match. For ADCC, I know you were there. I was not. We've already touched on that. Yeah. So one of the chief gripes that everybody watching at home had were the commercial breaks and the yeah. weird pauses. And the the amount of times that stupid flow, like the F is on the screen mm-hmm. and it's just that... that Yeah, whatever song is in the background that song stuck in my head i heard it so many times watching adcc like you said they went from that one of the most like the most watched grappling event of the entire year ever ever now ever months later where you you have everybody saying the production was great the like you can tell like okay but like the the couple comp the the couple comments that they did have were yeah these weird breaks were very frequent and very awkward they somehow made that worse yeah they inexplicably made that worse yeah. and it's very detrimental to Man, the product i'll pay 200 bucks i won't be happy about it but i'll fucking pay it and just you're... let me watch the thing i want and do a little better for like making the videos searchable and add filters to stuff and maybe give me like a comprehensive results list for all of the events that stream on your platform after the event concludes so I don't have to go to Bloody Elbow and the other, like, Jits King and Grappling That's even center, asking like, for things. much compared to don't stop my feed yeah. in the middle of the fight. Yeah. I agree. Imagine <sighs> doing it during, like, a Conor McGregor fight, which is, oh, Cyborg and Victor Hugo, for our sport, are at similar levels of stardom. Like, these are two of the top guys in the legends of the sport. You're pausing a match during their bout to show me a commercial when I'm very engaged and the storyline and watching this match. So it's disrespectful to the audience and I don't appreciate it. Yeah. So let's get on to um, 
the two matches that didn't happen suddenly. <laughs> uh, oh, so so Cyborg takes that by two points. Um, that was a tangent we went off on. Heavyweight, Andre Pereira versus Wagner Hosha. Did not happen. Both athletes no-showed. I've seen a picture that shows, I think, Wagner taking gold and that, but not like an actual medal. Mm-hmm. And I've seen results online that have basically the only people that medaled here were bronze. Yep. In the absolute, in the open class, Cyborg versus Henrik Sassoni, same shit happened. Cyborg's base. Cyborg gave an, a, a, an Instagram post at least after that that was like, "Hey man, I got injured. Open. I got injured in my weight class. I was done. I had to catch a flight. I just bounced. I didn't, you know, didn't matter to me, so I just left." He's already an eight-time world champion. Like, what's another one? I just loved that. It, if you read that post and you believe that wholeheartedly. Um, that he catching a flight was more important to him than winning the open than class winning finals. the open class finals, or or closing it and taking silver in the open class finals of the world championships. Yeah. Like as I don't move my flight around, like I could I, I don't move my flight. Um, there have been some stuff. So online, basically, the rumor is that Usada was there. No, not a rumor that was confirmed. It was confirmed. I'm saying the rumor is that all of a sudden, about the time that these divisions were going, Usada showed up. Mm-hmm. And everyone went, deuces. I personally think we should test on ADCC years. I don't think we should test at all. I don't think we should test at all. But I'm just saying, uh, ADCC years, like, hey, man, do you want to see, like, really exciting grappling for a weekend? And, like, everyone, you want to have the best possible grapplers that are going to look the best, do the best, have the best cardio? Like, ADCC is not going to test. Let's just go. 2022 is not a year that we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that has been one of the allegations is that, like, you saw it showed up and everyone kind of went... Deuces were out because apparently, like, the arena cleared. <laughs> like, a lot of folks left very suddenly when USADA showed up because technically the IBGF can test any athlete. Mm-hmm. They typically have only tested the Gi World Championships fi- uh, winners, and every other year someone pops. Um, Who's popped besides Kanan? Uh, Paula popped. Um, let's see, see, this is how much pop. I care about it. Yeah, like, no, but it's, it's still win. Like, hey, man, you went on the day. I don't care what happens after. It's mm-hmm. like, why? Because I watched you win the title. And, like, we do a sport where I, no one cares. I'm also, we're also in the sports entertainment business. Yeah. Where it's like, it behooves us doing this podcast to have people that can have more exciting matches and train harder and recover from injury. So it behooves me to go, like, on that train. If you are an athlete competing, that's probably a different story. So, what's the argument for training for por- or testing for performance enhancing drugs? Like, have there been it makes it less fun? Have there been widespread deaths as a result of well, it makes grapplers it le- it juicing? It makes it less fun, and that's like one of the IB- one of the charges of the IBJJF is like yeah, but it doesn't make them fun. any more money, which is the chief yeah. charge of the IBJJF. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. So, so, both those two matches didn't happen. Allegedly, it was because some folks came, but really, like the only guys that know are Wagner Hosha, mm-hmm. Cyborg, Henrik Sassone. And um, Andre Proferio. And again, I'm not going to in any way put allegations for any of no. those guys for whatever they do. Um, I don't care. I love watching them compete. It is not my fight or game to have. I care to watch them compete as athletes, and that is the focus of this show. I would have loved to see them compete, but they didn't. And so even the, even the commentary was like, uh, apparently this is not going to happen, so have Has, a nice night. What does this ever happen? Like, yeah. I mean, even with the, the Wagner thing was really, really, really confusing because at least with Cyborg, that he had made come, a post. Yeah. And then Wagner was just like, deuces, I'm out. So, and Wagner's personality is such that like, 
even if Wagner said like, "Yeah, I saw you saw walking around and I just dipped." Would he lose a single fan? Nah, would bro. people that love watching Wagner host should be yeah. like? And by uh, the way, and that being said, it could be an entirely different reason. Like, I we it, the, the USADA thing, is, could the be, USADA yes. thing is thing we've heard. I don't want to be the the outlet that spreads a rumor mill no. on that. Um, but that's like that is really the only explanation that the community has kind of come up with. So this is not this is not Simon and I's coming up with this explanation. This is like the one thing that we've heard. Is like Cyber gave the statement, but the other guys I didn't we didn't see anything from, and so and that rumor from in from folks that we knew inside the arena was like, oh, Usada showed up and everyone cleared the fuck out because everyone technically could be under testing, and a lot of folks in that room are preparing for a world title and world championship event, and so they're going to do whatever they need to do to be able to prepare for that effectively and take care of their bodies as best as they can with the science available to them. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's you know that's that. Uh, moving on, you want to start with moving on to the women. Do you yep. want to start with the rooster weights or do you want to start with the open class? Let's start with the rooster weights because I want to finish with the open class because that was a lot of fun. All right. Ro- rooster weights, we have uh, Jennifer Aquino defeating Juliana uh, Gregorout via advantage. This is a leg battle Yep. Uh, for points out of bounds. There's a near sweep in the last 30 seconds that gets an advantage. It was She went for a guillotine in like the last 30 seconds. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so from yep. top she attempted the guillotine. It was literally seconds left on the clock. And uh, commentary actually did a really good job pointing that out because they were like, that could be an ad. And then, boom, yep. it was the ad. And then, yeah, dude, Jake Watson and Chase Smith. Like, dude, I can't I can't say enough good things about those guys on commentary. I love, we've talked about it before, but Watson brings an, like, I love Chase Smith for, like, kind of the straight man, like, mm-hmm. and, like the the almost, call, almost play-by-play. And Jake Watson, because he's a very high-level black belt, but he also brings a level of, like, enthusiasm and excitement to the broadcast. But it's not over the top like some broadcasts where it's like he's yelling into the mic and he's like it's not too much Mm -hmm. but he shares that excitement he has for what he's watching with you while also being able to brilliantly explain what is actually going on in the match and i think it's like that that team that Flo has is uh is phenomenal and i can't i want to hear these guys do most events on that platform so yeah so i think what you were going for was julia tied it up with the sweep it was Jennifer in the last yeah. 30 seconds went for the guillotine attempt, and that was the reason she got the ad to win it. So uh, Jennifer Aquino takes the world They actually title. had a really fun leg lock battle in the beginning of the fight. Like he That did. was one of those positional things where this it's not that we are – it's not a leg lock battle that was exciting because it was like, oh, they're about to – oh, look at that, buddy. He's about to rip that off. He's no, it was, a, leg. Yeah. it was a – it was instead of wrestling, the positional battle in this match yes. will start with our leg lock entries. Yep. So Which an, for a sport that doesn't have a lot of doesn't have hardly any good wrestlers, yep. finding different ways to create strategies to enter into your plan A offense, something like leg locks just can only make it better from a spectator point yeah. of view on top of that. It gives people something to do in another area where they can excel and cause problems for someone else. Mm-hmm. So it's great. So uh, Jennifer takes the world title at Roosterweight. Moving on to the light featherweight division, we had Alex Wynn defeating Jessica Crane via rear naked choke. Um, dude, Alex Wynn looked good here. Didn't she sub her way through the whole tournament? <sighs> She might. I think I, I saw that. I don't heard like post fight interviews at the end of it. Uh, but she actually had like we were talking about this earlier. One of the more fun things that we're seeing with passing at a higher level right now yeah. is as soon as she had passed, instead of switching her hips and settling in side control, she whipped around with the quickness to take her back. Yeah, we saw that a bunch this week, and we're mm-hmm. seeing it. We've always seen it, 
but we're seeing it used as like a strategy because people are getting so good, especially in ADCC, at turtling. And so what people are doing is they're reaching almost like the start of a dar script mm-hmm. on the other side to grab the back there, and then they are using it to basically like monkey like swing to someone's back when you go to expose the back to stop the pass for the turtle. Actually, I think she had the underhook and she used that as her path. And oh yeah, whipped her body yes. around to go take her back. Yeah, it was, it was a great. And Jessica sequence. Crane actually did turtle up. Mm-hmm. Wind just sort of like was really, really high, and then sort of settled back in, settled back in, settled back in, and just sort of like rode her from the top there yeah. until she and flattened, got flattened around eventually. Yeah. I did love the the initial score here. What wind sits down, and then actually, I don't think she flattened her out to here. I think you're thinking about the next match, the Tammy Mismatchy match. Uh, I wrote bellies down hard on the hips, but I uh, could, be, I could yeah. be incorrect here. I did love the initial two points that Alex Wynn scores, though, from butterfly, double hands, and then just like techs up to a spear, to like a spear <laughs> takedown from the knees. Yep. We saw that a couple of times this weekend, but I, again, I like butterfly guard, and I like more options from butterfly guard, but we're seeing people hesitant to engage in the butterfly guard and kind of being over, and we're seeing people that are quick with a tech up be more and more effective with that like wrestle up spear from the butterfly guard than we ever had before. It was like a niche technique we'd see occasionally. Like somebody Marcella just did it in it. an instructional. Yeah, I just saw it like one of the little clips that they put mm-hmm. up on like Instagram. It's a thing Marcelo used to do. Yeah, but like it kind of fell out. It fell out of favor for a while. Now we're seeing it. We saw it, I think three or four times in finals matches this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like it is a thing that is coming back to prominence in a big way here. And it was just it was cool to see as the kind of the first scoring sequence for the match. Again, I like watching people early from bottom position get points on the board, you know, and not necessarily be in a protracted guard battle for all of the matches that we watch. So Alex Wynn takes a world title in the light featherweight division. Moving on to the featherweight division, we have Tammy Musumeci defeating Jasmine Hocha by rear naked choke. This is Jasmine's, I don't know if it's her first event as a black belt, but it's got to be close. It's the first one that I remember listening to either you cover or me watching. I think it's the first. It, I think it is the first time event we are going to cover her on as a black belt that is an IBJJF event. It's definitely the first major. That, ah, I say that. I think it's the first major that we're going to cover her on. And actually, um, Jasmine in this one was uh, sort of using that wrestle up pressure. Yeah. In, in a, I mean, she gets she scores Tammy's on Tammy yeah. very, very quickly at the beginning of the match. And I was like, ooh, is this going to be it? But that also sort of led into her demise because when yeah. she was charging in her, that's when she got stuck in that Omo Attempt. She immediately gets up into the guard, and Musumeci, as soon as the points are conceded and Jasmine's on top, immediately cuts the angle to the Omoplata. And mm-hmm. Omoplata is not really a technique that you're going to see finished in Nogi, especially for women's divisions, typically, because they're so fle- the shoulders for women are typically much more flexible. No, but from a positional point of view, she like mm-hmm. kept her balled up with that. Yeah, and, and, that- then, and then she reached over for the Imanari grip on the top, and I was like, okay, so Musumeci here is has... Hosha in a really, really tough spot. Jasmine Hosha did a great job. Tammy did a great job getting that and then holding the position and kind of weathering the storm of Jasmine's like top pressure. But Rosha did a really good job of just like getting up high enough to start freeing her arm and eventually was able to roll through back into the guard of Musumeci and gets her arm out. But in that series, Musumeci then immediately gets to the back and kind of starts the beginning of the end there for Rosha. But I was very, very impressed with kind of how patient Jasmine was in that Omoplata kind of combination stack and how willing she was to kind of keep herself stacked up on her own neck and hips to get out of the Omoplata. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, again, I we've covered Jasmine since I think she was a blue belt or purple belt for a long time now. It's cool to see her rise up through the ranks, take on like a 
very, very credentialed world champion black belt in him Musumeci and have like good answers to like a lot of black belts get tapped by that. But Jasmine was like fighting through to get out of the position. Eventually, you know, Tammy is able to take it. Well, from there, when Tammy takes her back, she sort of first gets her back, doesn't have any hooks in. Yeah. And then she does the thing again where she's kind of high. Well, you hear Mikey yelling at Tammy to get hooks and she doesn't get hooks for probably almost not until she flattens her out two minutes or like yeah. a minute plus of time she just keeps settling back she yeah. finally gets her hooks in and that's when she flattens her out and just finishes yeah. her from the bottom there she goes belly down and then goes belly yeah, up well, and finishes you know, she was belly down and she was like doing the thing where she's like fighting under mm-hmm. hair and chins and whatnot to try to get underneath and then for the fi- for the finale she does turn to the side yeah at the end because I, 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 I had to watch both these again because i switched them um earlier so then musumeci takes i think another world title in nogi i know she has geed world titles i think this is another one in nogi yeah they they again yeah. one of the flow interviews she did afterwards okay. i haven't got a chance to watch all the flow interviews yet i was doing it when i was looking for clips trying to find all the fights because they do that because the mobile app mobile app's not good it's not great moving on to the next division the lightweight division brianne saint marie steve marie i called her saint marie uh-huh. brianna uh-huh. steve marie versus nikki sullivan earlier when i messed it up uh arm triangle just like, smothered her from bell to bell. It was just my God. So I listened to BJ Mental Models uh, podcast that Brianna was on, and really insightful. Most about clothes guard. It was a positional series they were doing. But it was really interesting to have her talk about her instructional material and like her game and the thought process for training and in her game, kind of surrounded around clothes guard, um, which was not a display in this match. But dude, Brianna just smashes from the top and just pressure Sullivan, pressure Sullivan, pressure Sullivan. And we've seen Sullivan like deal with that for you because Sullivan's a woman that can fold herself in half and uses that as a technical and tactical tool in her game for all the matches she and Nikki Sullivan can comfortably put her legs behind her head to stop your guard pass. And Brand just goes, cool, uh, I'm not going to try to pass you straight on. I'm going to try to pass it your hips and over and just like cut through the knee cut. And eventually after so much time and pressure, you see Nick Sullivan go, all right, I'm going to go for a leg lock here. And off of this leg lock attempt, Brand just goes, nope, passes through, gets the like really, really heavy arm triangle to the side and just. She actually, she locks, she attacks the neck before she actually gets past her guard. This is one of the oh, right, those yeah. moments where yep. is that high low pass where she's yes, I'm going to pass. attack high and then eventually I'm going to wiggle my legs out and then from yes. there I'm going to continue setting it and you saw her change grips a bunch of times she grabbed her forearm mm-hmm. she eventually moved up and then she got it to her bicep before the finish yeah, yeah the high low pass was something it was really good because it, it prevents a lot of the inversion from Sullivan like you hold the head you pull the hips in and all of a sudden Sullivan still has you know amazingly mobile hips but she's unable to easily kind of get underneath you and invert through underneath you again to kind of get a straight up guard on you um it was just very interesting to watch brianna do that and her then top game was just outstanding to watch ADCC. it was it looked like adcc it looked like old school lovato like that yeah, kind, it like, did we're just that heavy pressure where it's like yeah where are you going nowhere mm-hmm. and just laid to the side and nikki Sullivan even has even has like the arm she has her hand up in her own yeah neck. It was like like tucked in there yeah and Brianna's able to finish that regardless of that hand position. I actually think that helped her because you know that that arm triangle one-on-one defense, like trying to get that arm underneath your own yeah. leg to re- having that arm stuck here. Mm-hmm. There is Sullivan no had to use the other arm yeah, for a big piece, piece of that time. Once she got to the side at that point, it was yeah. game over. Yeah. 
just it was it was a tenacious performance and just heavy forward pressure from Brianna and it was just it was just it, it impressed me again every time we cover Steve Marie it was one of my favorite matches on the whole yeah. day like regardless of gender that was mm-hmm. just beauty to watch yeah impressive impressive like old school I think old school was one of the favorite guys to watch for both mm-hmm. of us that same like hey man nothing else you do matters I'm just gonna grind through eventually you're gonna eventually you're gonna lose all your grips and I'm just gonna have your neck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on to the middleweight bout between Elizabeth Clay and Vanessa Griffith. Um, I think they faced each other before. They a did. bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm just not. I'm not remembering how these matches have gone. And they, uh, Clay just beat her at Pans this past Nogi okay. Pans this past year. I know that for a fact. Okay. And then I forgot what the other one was, but I saw like when I was looking for again when I was tabbing through looking for all these matches, it was like Vanessa Those Griffith. Elizabeth other Clay. matches were coming. Oh up. no, never mind. That's not the one I want. Oh, never mind. That's not the one I want. Uh, but even Vanessa, for somebody that we've seen a bunch, like from the Maryland area, yeah. um, Clay just had her I number in every position. This match it ends up nineteen to zero. Yes, and it really interesting finish. So Clay um, runs through the guard, half guard, hip switches, double unders on the elbows from the be- really close to the beginning of the match. Gets to side control, then quickly goes to mount, and then kind of cycles between back mount and mount on Griffith and roll. Up she actually never went to side. She passed straight to mount. Yeah, yeah. Well, she goes she goes momentarily there, but doesn't score it, and then comes to mount. But, the camera angle's on the other side. Uh, when she took her back, it was with like a really gnarly-looking face crank. Oh, uh, my God. The first face crank the, that Vanessa Griffin deals with is like the head is turned completely side. Because the camera angle, they have a low camera angle yes. for it. And you can see it. I was like, oh, it's terrifying. But Vanessa, to her credit, like... I can either get cranked here or I can give up some more points, but I'm already down on points. So tactically, mm-hmm. it's the right decision to make there. But Clay is just so good in the transition, stays on top again, gets, uh, she changes the grip for the second back take, I think. Yes. Well, she used the gift wrap to get the back take. Yeah. And then. And, but she just kept attacking the neck. She kept setting up position. Mm-hmm. She has a fantastic referee death stare. Where even oh, yeah. before she gets to her next position, she's looking up like, and she's looking at the ref for just, points. Just give her the points, make her stop looking like that. She finishes here, so she goes. She gets nineteen points in, I think, under five minutes, and then she finishes a modified version of a triangle from the back. Okay, so you and I were having a hard time describing. What no, the- you. I think you're having a hard time. Rachel does this to me. Yes, I know all that, the but fucking time. the description of it, though. Like, yeah, how do we describe it here? So basically, Elizabeth Clay has her top side leg next to Vanessa Griffin's neck, As but she's if behind. She's going for reverse or a triangle from the back, but she's not actually. But she's not going for it, and then at a certain point, she starts going like she's going to go like an underarm armbar behind the back. But Vanessa Griffin's doing a great job of like keeping her hands together. And so I watched Elizabeth. And what I care about more was the finish was neat. Mm-hmm. But the hand pummeling that Elizabeth Clay did really impressed me here. Where she's in this position. She go, she does three different grip breaks in like pretty rapid succession. She goes like hand over on the Kimura grip break. Turns it. That mm-hmm. doesn't work. She slides her hand under to do like the knuckles break underneath mm-hmm. the hand. Doesn't quite work. She then goes, grabs her own foot. Puts her elbow in like you're going to do the break you do, like the, or the grip break, when somebody crosses their feet and you're digging for an inside heel hook. But she does that with Griffith's arms. Because she goes with that elbow, she's able to get the arm underhooked and pass it across under her other arm. 
and then able to finish essentially what is like a shoulder crank on a top side Americana. But from the reverse triangle, that's a really, really hard position for your shoulder to be in. She never, Clay never ends up locking the other leg over for the reverse triangle. She's just no. able to get enough leverage on that arm to finish it. Wild. Yes. Like just wild. What do you call that? Like it's kind of a mirror lock, but it's not. Re- but it's not, it's not really it a mirror lock. It wasn't the angle of the mirror lock. No. It was the the grip break you would use to finish a mirror lock. Yeah. While sitting back as if you were going for a reverse triangle. Yeah. But at no point did you do a mirror lock or a triangle. It's kind of it, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like it's a joint lock. It's like it's a shoulder, it's a shoulder lock, lock that you did that from this position that was like it is an it is a submission without name, and that's. Pretty rare nowadays. Uh, somebody, please DM us if you have a name for this. Call it the clay lock. Shit, why not? Clay lock. If she hits it again, you hit, you hit it more than once. Oh, if she does clay. this again at, on like a high stage, like even if it's not That's the clay IBJJF, lock. yeah. Yeah, you win it. So again, very, very impressive performance from Elizabeth Clay. Uh, looked looked phenomenal on the weekend. You know, takes another, I think another... Four times, I want to say. Okay, and she has a bunch of them in, in, in the lower belts. I don't know how many black belt ones she has. Yeah. So moving on to the medium heavyweight division, we have Amy Campo defeating Melissa Kuto via rear naked choke. Dude, Campo is so good. But you knew that from ADCC because she won ADCC because mm-hmm. she beat Gabby Garcia. And everyone mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, we knew that at trials because I watched her win trials and interviewed her at trials and went, this woman is very, very good. Um, this was If you've watched Amy Campo, this was more of the same of her game. She plays a heavy, top-pressure, outside, stabilized game on the leg. She's going to throw a heavy knee cut on you. But what she's going to do is she's going to lean on you with that front side knee, and she's going to base her outside knee or leg really, really far away. It took her forever to pass, though. Yeah, because it's this is a pass that is not... You're not trying to do a quick knee cut here. Correct. You're trying to lean into someone and force them to, like, you fatigue the bottom leg, you fatigue the guard retention, and eventually you just lean into their guard enough here. But because your outside leg is so far posted out, you can just continue to kind of drive your chest pressure and your hip pressure into their leg. They can no longer, the person holding the guard can no longer hold your knee cut leg through or up at all. So their leg gets trapped on the bottom. Then you fatigue it further because you limit the mobility of that leg by leaning into it. And then you can just do what Campo does here and just just put kind of go into the next gear with that pressure. So just she was with like the with all sorts of eternity just pushing into her, pushing in her. But when she did finally get past the guard, it was a really quick big step. Yes. And then a really quick back take. Yeah. It was like all that pressure, all that cooking, and we cooking, saw her cooking, 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 and then boom. Similar all... to the Garcia match mm-hmm. where it's like she was going through and then she immediately kind of jumped towards the back. Like she does have a ton of dynamism Although, in Although, you know, game. this time with a person of relatively same size. Really regular, relatively changed the size. outcome of that, but at the yeah. end. No, it didn't change the outcome, but it changed the manner in which that guard was passed and the back was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Campo, yeah, she gets the pass. She goes right to the back in one sequence and then belly down, breaker choke. Yep. Kind of what we know what Campo, we know one of the things that Campo was very, very good at. But uh, yeah, look look for, look for to see more Campo because now she's a black belt. We're going to see her against the black belts. Uh, don't be surprised if she takes home a bunch of other world titles in the next couple of years. Very, very good. Um, next match, we have a heavyweight and Justice Sintra taking on Thalita Lima wins the via knee bar. This was a back and forth match. Mm-hmm. This was a match that I wasn't certain Sintra was going to take because Lima looked 
like she was going to take this match, not comfortably, but definitely was in the driver's seat for the majority of this match, pretty much from the moment that Sintra starts to take her down, and then she just jumps a guillotine. It was that wrestle into you, and then all right, I'm going to snatch that neck thing. Yep, and it, Kuto and tactically does a really good thing because Sintra's coming into her. She pulls guard. She jumps guard into the guillotine. You're going to concede the points there if you do that, but the guillotine was tight, and they're off the mat. You used to do this to me mm-hmm. all of white belt, blue belt. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very painful. Many years ago. Yeah. yeah. And it got to the point guys couldn't guillotine me anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot. I watched I watched. I, and very I was like, much I, was like appreciate I, did that, that. I did that a lot to people. Um, but yeah, no, and then. But so this, this, was a, this was some more fuckery with points because Jake Watson said it on commentary, mm-hmm. and I looked at it and I was like, there is something I understand here because in my understanding of this, and the only reason this could be the case is they restarted because they were off the mat because basically Thelema Lima, Thalitha Lima at mm. one point like arches up a second or third time for this trying to finish the guillotine choke and they're off they're off the mat. They're off the out of the warning area now onto the blue section of the next mat and they like stop the match. I love that IBJJF is now allowing stuff to happen on the yellow border, a little bit off, where it's like they're not just so hard and fast with positions like this that are like, oh, no matter if you touch the yellow, we're out of here. On the edge of the yellow, like, they let stuff work and play out so that the limiting of the edge play is, like, not as much of a factor. Yeah. You know, we, we see so many fewer weirdness with resets and changes because athletes work within the blue, they work to the yellow, they work in the yellow, and then the yellow is big enough where they can actually like get some work done, and then the referees now have the autonomy to actually make a a good decision of where that's going to stop, as opposed to before where it's like, well, you're in the yellow and you're not moving, we can stop you. Now like you have to be off the section before they stop you. Very, very good change. So Okay, so was your beef on the scoring or on the giving of the ad? So my, so my thought was here, you had Thalita Lima... Get restarted, not in a sub, mm-hmm. not in, not without Sintra's neck, in the center. So that's a submission off the mat with no fault of Sintra. Mm-hmm. That should be two points. My question is: Is it not two points because it was done as a counter to a gil- a counter to a takedown from Sintra? That's I, my question. I, I thought that was no, because of the nature in which she was wrestling into her. She snatched the guillotine. It wasn't that she was fleeing. Or not like fleeing a submission attempt, but yeah, the the aggressor was the one trying to like. It, it's in the best interest of the aggressor here, the person doing the takedown, to keep this action into the mat. Yes, and that's, it was it was weird. Like, I think that what they saw this is Sintra coming in. Sintra did a takedown off the mat that ended where she didn't pop her head out. So you give the advantage to Sintra. You don't get points off the mat. You get an advantage for a takedown off the mat, and they give that. But since but Thalitha Lima had a guillotine, and that's a sub attempt off the mat. So should that be in that? So should that no? So that should be two points. Oh, sorry. And she wasn't given the two points. And Jake Watson and myself were confused as like, well, that seems pretty clear, but there, you know, it didn't get brought up again. It didn't get changed. So that's probably a misunderstanding of that my interpretation said, of the rule. She she makes it so in the end where you doesn't, don't really need. It matter. doesn't matter at that point. Um, we had a uh, mistake. 220 left. Mm-hmm. Central from close guard. I love this sequence here. Shoots an armbar. 
Well, because she, she wasn't really playing much closed guard up until that point, though. Right? No, really yeah. open guard, seated, yeah. double feet in front, hands in front, like kind of ready to deal with whatever Thalita Lima and, like, was. Overall, in grappling, like closed guard hasn't really become an offensive position. Like it's kind of become, like, oh, I'm going to like chill here for a minute while I set up whatever my next, yeah. like, whatever my next open guard yeah. is that I'm going to use. So, she this setup it. coming from closed guard, that's the yes. one thing that I had in my notes. This, like, so, yep. this is what I want to talk about for the gamesmanship here. You see Cintra, and Cintra's got a really great armbar game. She, I think, has a world title win or a silver win by armbar. Um, she throws the armbar from the guard, and you see Thalita go, oh, no, postures back. Cintra mm-hmm. uses the pulling back out of the armbar that wasn't really deep to invert, go for the leg, spins down, gets the knee bar, and then bellies up with the knee bar and mm-hmm. finishes it with that same grip, wins a world title off of it that. Was that f- like, not far side leg, but it was not yeah. the leg that it was, was the inver- It was the inversion yes. side leg. So her just it, diving for that far side leg just yes. and that hunt for that submission at the end of that. And she would have never gotten that if Lima had been heavy in her guard and her hips like she was before. So she uses the armbar to get the Lita mm-hmm. Lima leaning back so that the leg can come up. So if you go to lift it on a knee bar, they're not over their hips anymore and you can actually get them over. And I was like, I was like, look at that. That's an amazing... That's an amazing uh, gamesmanship sequence to know exactly, like, yeah, I'm going to go for the armbar. It's there. I'll take it. But I'm actually looking for you to just move your hips so that I can go for this knee bar. And it was just, it was a wild, like, sequence to think about to do that. Um, and I, 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 like, I like watching knee bars. They're one of my favorite mm-hmm. subs to watch. Um, and she gets the knee bar, and Andrzej Sintra takes the heavyweight title for... The women. Mm-hmm. Uh, super heavyweight, uh, Luina Monta versus Leticia Cardosa was a closeout. <laughs> Open, yeah, not a big fan. Uh, Amy Camp, Elizabeth Clay. My, f- This was a match that I was itching to see after both of their runs in their divisions. Yes. Th- this is actually, pr- this was by far my favorite of the female fights. One of, Like I was saying earlier, like uh, Clay, Clay had a great tournament. Campo had a great tournament. Having them both match up in the absolute yeah. finals. Best possible outcome for the female side of this bracket. Yeah. And the the match itself delivered. Like, all of Clay's sub attempts are with such viciousness. Like, you're like, dude, who hurt you? Who made you this angry? What, what, why, why are you trying to hurt these people so bad? I love it, dude. That's what, that's what brought us to Clay initially because she had such an aggressive sub game early in her career. I mean, one trials at, I think, 15 Mm. for ADCC, something Something like that. I think the youngest. Because she started doing like, crazy super fights and stuff like that yeah, right when she like, turned 17, 18. I think, yeah, something like 16, I think. Something but, like that, yeah. But just that she's, that she's just so aggressive. And like here with Compo, um, just did the same thing. It was like, man, like Compo is a woman that can punish you for that aggressiveness. And we've seen Clay get beat. I mean, and Compo does beat her here. Yeah. It's because someone, you can have someone that can contend with that level of pressure and aggressiveness. This match is close. Yes. This match is 3-2 for Compo. It is. I just wanted to highlight Clay as an entertaining grappler. I think that's yeah. why she's still, even with a bunch of her super fight losses, she still gets brought in by every single promotion. Mm-hmm. That belly down armbar that she went for, every, all of her sub attempts, but that one was like, ooh, she, oh, okay, never it, it almost makes you cringe every time you see it because you think somebody's about to get hurt very badly, yeah. and I don't want to actually watch that. But Campo was oh, bro. just, that, that was her day. They're, yeah, Campo that was, looked amazing. Play, and played it well, and, and sort of Clay slows down 
towards the middle of the match, and then Compo kind of like towards the end of the match, Clay's on the guard, and Compo is just sort of like pressured in, knows what she has to do, knows she's up, knows that Clay has that really dangerous inverted knee bar, kind of really similar to what Sintra hit, knows how to stay away from that, keep heavy pressure on the hips, and force Clay to like just fight for the upper body. Beautifully played by both women, and again, super close match. Not going to be surprised to see both of them against each other for the future, for a long time. Um, I think we're going to get Yana Suarez and Gabriela Pasana, um, Gabriela Pasana in most of the gi. Finals for open class would not surprise me for almost all the women's open weight finals for Nogi to be these two ladies or to have these two ladies taking on Gabriela Pasana and Yana Suarez in the open class in the gi as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very, you know, very, very exciting heavyweight grapplers. And so uh, Ami Kampo takes gi, sorry, takes weight and absolute yep. two times and new black belt too. Like this is her first yeah. year at black belt. <laughs> Again, new black belts are getting scary. We're starting to see less of that in the men's divisions for years. We've seen like black belt prodigy brown belts go to black belt and first year black belt world champions mm-hmm. win titles. And there's been a bit of a a gap for a lot of the women for that. That gap is starting, I think, to go away. Yeah. We're seeing more new female black belts that can now immediately contend with that upper echelon in the women's divisions. And it's it's very cool to see that, like, yeah, man, the next killer in four years or three years is a 16-year-old woman at 150 that we don't know about yet. And in Grappling Rewind in 2026, we're going to be talking about that new female black belt that's already in the contention with the men much like we're talking about like the men's champions now that are at that age the parallels kind of this is one of the first tournaments that we're starting not first tournaments the first years that we are really starting to see that come into prominence like jasmine rocha in the finals you know amy campo winning weight and absolute like we're seeing more and more new female black belts immediately contend and win and it's cool of note for this being a ADCC year Nogi Worlds tournament, still, especially on the women's side, surprisingly entertaining finals yeah. across the board, across all weight classes. Yeah. I think this has been maybe not the most entertaining Nogi Worlds, but definitely up there as far as... But to your point, when you see an Amy Campo who had the tournament of her life at ADCC yeah. 2022 and then does it again at Nogi Worlds that year, yeah. traditionally what should be a boring Nogi Worlds because nobody's going to pay attention right. to it because we just year. got the Grappling Olympics a few yep. months ago. Pretty much. So, yeah, overall fun tournament. Uh, definitely some matches to go back and watch. Um, I was I was really, I'm really happy with, I'm not a huge fan openly of the IBJJF and a lot of the things that they do, but I do think that they are rapidly, more rapidly so, still pretty slow, making changes to that organization for how it runs, for how they're doing, even the edge of the map play stuff they changed this year, like hugely helpful for entertaining and allowing the athletes to work and like the scoring out of bounds like that yeah. changed so many game plans across I think for these the final ma- yes very yeah. but all of these things i say are for the better mm-hmm. when it more so legitimizes the sport it's sh- it, there are signs of growth yeah. that these type of things that the level of gamesmanship has gone beyond just like let me give the ref a certain look and more into this is part of the strategy these are fundamentals on how yeah. to win this is what mainstream sport coaches get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to figure out how yeah. can I best put myself, my team, whatever, in a position that we can win given the constraints of the rules that are put in front of us. Yeah. And with this 
with these sort of rules being implemented IBJJF, who is continuously trying to defend themselves as the flag bearer of the sport, for them to have these rules change in a positive way and actually affect their championship events in a good way is only a positive for the growth yeah, of the sport. Absolutely. So that's Nogi Worlds. Um, I've saw all the good, the good and the bad stuff, but I think overall this year, I, again, I'm, the quality of athlete that we're getting and the quality of technique that we're seeing across, this is by far, I think, the highest level of technique. And it's it, you can look year to year and see, like, I, I can't point to this year like, oh, that was a mistake. Like, previous years, like, oh, guys, I made mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes in divisions. Like, every match here was like, oh, yeah, that was a tactical decision mm-hmm. you made. But they're no like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Just doesn't, it doesn't really happen as much anymore. And it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to be able to cover it. So, all right, that does it for the recap of Nogi Worlds. Let's move to the outro section, Simon. What are you going to say? Yeah, we already did the, uh, what's it called? The preview stuff. Already. Right the preview I'm all thrown stuff. off, right. man. It's, it's weird, dude, for your <laughs> first show. So, uh, what you, what you got going on this week? Uh, anything good? Nah, can't really think of anything crazy. Training when I can. Working, taking care of my kids, that kind of stuff. Nice, normal dad stuff. I'm doing yeah. a commentary in Virginia this week for Copa Virginia again. So Zach and I are going down. I think Miranda's coming with us as well. So we're going to go do go do commentary. I'm, again, I love doing commentary for Copa Virginia because they bring out some local talent. Every tournament now, it's like, it's a, it's, it is less of a local tournament nowadays because it's a cash prize division. And so guys that are from like our greater Maryland, Baltimore, D.C., Virginia, West Virginia, PA area, or like I can win some money. We're seeing talent come into these tournaments. And I'm like, oh, that's like, like last time we had um, Kenta Iwamoto, not Kenta Iwamoto, um, Yuta, Yuta Shimada, former uh, ADCC trials winner in Asia from 2017, mm-hmm. Fonte G. Torres' first round, like mm-hmm. he was in the tournament. And it's like, oh, crazy. We had Gavin Corbray. We had... Um, you know, Christian Banghart, a local guy, he won last time. Um, we've had a bunch of names. Alexander Romanovsky from the UFC yep. did him, did one of them. A Romanov. Couple, Romanov, sorry. Alexander Romanov. A couple, like one or two events ago, like you, we get to see a much higher. We saw Gavin Corbray win like three of these we've commentated. Mm. And it's just very, very cool to like have, be able to be fortunate enough to commentate these guys locally that go on and like do great things or just like, showcase the level of talent that is in our area and like makes you go so when they come to maryland are you commentating on that are you i don't know if i'm commentating i'm definitely coaching i'm hopefully competing i'm definitely competing so i hope you're coaching yeah it's like it's like 10 minutes from our gym yeah like how can you not support so yeah it's a copa copa maryland is coming to dundalk maryland um on like january January 28th and so 28th 29th 28th 28th um so yeah i don't i don't know if we're commentating on that one because it's the first move for maryland into maryland for them so there may not be a cash prize division for that one but definitely gonna bring our team there and like our guys there and if there is a guy that i can compete against i will for sure uh, be competing. Yeah, no, and, like I am the type of person that needs a date scheduled on the calendar. Yeah. So like I know for a fact it's January 28th. I'm pretty sure that gives us about six weeks right now. So about now it's weeks. like, all right, now's the point in time where I got to stop eating entirely like crap. Yeah. Start like, stop making excuses and get into the gym at 6 a.m. whenever you say you will. And Oof. then, yeah. Hey, yeah. 
Now dad, we, dad we stuff, ramp up the irregular work schedule. Yeah. yeah, I gotta. I have to get in at six a.m. or I might not get hey, in man, the training get, at all. Get the training in, which is yeah, man. It's awesome to have you in. So uh, that does it. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, shout out to Will, going. Will Soitzman from our oh, team. Yeah, took third at uh, Nogi Worlds uh, for a blue belt for weight and absolute. Yeah, which is like good yeah. for him. Man. It makes you feel less bad about getting the shit beat out well, of you by that guy. So Will's like one of my favorite training partners yeah. of all time because he's like fifty pounds lighter than me, but he has insane pressure yeah, so it's like i'm constantly going against an ultra heavyweight and but then it's somebody that can like out move me and out maneuver me yeah, on top yeah. of that oh i love training yeah, he's, with one of, he's one of the few big dudes that I can, he's such that a I can nice guy with. like yeah. this, every single person's happy that will got Fuck double yeah. bronze yeah. nogi worlds congrats man from our little old gym love love to see it yeah so uh i think that's i think that is all that i've got i don't that's think we have I've any got. other big events coming up new year should be fun UFC invitational should be fun looking forward to that um and that's it as always on the show, I'm your host, Maine, the co-host, Simon. And we are the Grappling Rerun. Show them that, what it is. Stay safe. If you like the show, please consider sharing it on Facebook with the folks at your gym. It's the best way that we grow the show and we really appreciate it. You can reach out to us on email. We also have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have Google+. Plus. Until that shuts down. We have a website. If you have an event you would like to have us cover, please let us know. If you have a name, like most people do, and you'd like to have us stop butchering it, let us know. Reach out to us. The show is also available on YouTube, Spotify, in addition to iTunes and every other podcast service. We very much appreciate your time and thank you.